There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of the Cold Popshire podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch or get two extra exclusive podcasts a month, then please consider becoming a patron and joining us at www.patreon.com forward slash Popshire. So this morning, I was at work, I was scooting to work at like 4am kind of thing, and I like felt a little something and I was like, oh that doesn't feel good, but I'll, I'm sure it'll be fine. And then I got to work, and I like to put my feet up when I get to work, and I did, and I was chatting to uh, one of my mates, and then I felt this massive rip uh, in my pants, and we, you know how like your crotch, the like... If when when your like pants wear out, the crotch gets real thin. Yeah, um, it was like from there, but like across my right butt cheek, mm-hmm. and so I was like, I couldn't walk around, <laughs> so I just had to sit in my chair for like four hours until <laughs> Jess woke up and uh, brought me pants <laughs> wow. on her way to work. Well, you guys are so lucky to have each other. If mm. that happened to me, I'd I'd have to message like you. <laughs> and you'd be like can you nah. please like um what is the word like fast track you know courier me some pants yeah. i need some pants stat um wow that was a close one dude people might have seen your butt i know and but i had a jersey that i like wrapped around my waist like um you know like a, a lame grunge person yeah hell yeah dude kurt cobain died to this day 25 years ago ah and uh the day we're recording this which is a week and a half <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a wee while back uh <laughs> uh yeah it's also paul rudd's 50th birthday but we'll be talking more about paul rudd later on because this is film franchise fortnights on the cult pop show podcast and today Woo! it's part two we made it baby we're here oh. we're clear with what we're doing our intentions are clear <laughs> Uh, yes, this is the MCU phase two, and that rhymes. I'm I'm AJ, and I'm Richard, the guy who ripped his pants. <laughs> Just a fool who went and ripped his ripped pants. His pants. <laughs> That's actually Very such cool. a good song. Yeah, man. Of the course. um the music in SpongeBob is very good. Uh, okay yep. <laughs> there's, there's like a mental pathway whenever we start. Film franchise Fortnite, film franchise Fortnite's episode in my mind, where it's like, okay, how do we get from like playful banter to talking about the franchise? And sometimes it's easy, and then sometimes we briefly mention SpongeBob, and then you mentioned a second SpongeBob. Thing. <laughs> I, I go like, further down the SpongeBob rabbit hole. <laughs> the, the deeper the rabbit hole gets, the harder it is to climb back out yeah. into a perfect segue into the MCU, which it already brought up. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then we went back to SpongeBob. But I'd like to just um, stay on SpongeBob for a moment. Sure, um, of course. The Krusty Krab pizza, like medley, yeah. is so good. I get that in my head all the time. Yeah, you I know? like the part where he's like. 
the crusty crab pizza. Yeah, that's that's the bit. That's the bit. Here's the pizza for you and me. <laughs> that's a good. Um, that's a good scene. And imagine uh, if we did what we're doing now, but for the subject of this episode. <laughs> That'd be good content, bro. That would be such be. a good podcast. Uh, but you know what? This we're just so stretched for content yeah. in this um, episode that I'm having to relive old SpongeBob episodes. Yeah, like um, the Lost episode, yeah. which also has some good music in it. I'm convinced SpongeBob appears in, in a Marvel movie, but I can't remember what one. Sh- like on the TV. Um, like he's in, in like War of the Worlds. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. watching on TV. However, um, Tony does call Ebony Moore Squidward in Infinity War, which is the payoff to Phase the whole thing, and we're talking about Phase Two. Okay, Nailed I love it. that that Tony Stark knows who Squidward is. Yeah. Mm. What other SpongeBob characters do you think? <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All right, no, okay. The 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 Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase Two. What films? What the, so so last last week we did Phase One, which was Iron Man, uh, uh, the Incredible Hulk, Iron Man Two, uh, Thor, Captain America: The Winter. No, the first Avenger. Ooh. Shut up. And the Avengers. <laughs> Get off they the all podcast. Teamed up. Uh, yes, so then phase two begins uh, mm. on Earth with Iron Man 3 and then we journey to Asgard and Thor the Dark World and then we're back on Earth with Captain America the Winter Soldier then we jettison out to space for Guardians mm. of the Galaxy and then back on Earth for Avengers Age of Ultron and Ant-Man? <laughs> it's a can't wait to talk about that one. He sounds like fun. <laughs> does does the MCU count as one of our famed franchises where there's a oh, sequel set in space? Maybe. Although I guess Thor would be the first one for that to count. Yeah. Although, like, Avengers does mm. have a sequel set, you know? Like, the first yeah. two are pretty grounded. And then the third one, they're, although the first one, he goes to space. Imagine fuck, if they called fuck. Avengers Infinity War Avengers in space. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're not here to talk about Avengers Infinity War. We're here to talk about Iron Man 3 for now, Mm. and then we'll talk about the other films. Uh, So, this was directed by Shane Black, came out in 2013, and uh, AJ, bloody, uh, what did you think of this one, mate? What did I think of it? No, Um, what did you think it got, and what's it about? Sorry, uh, I I jumped the gun. um, The James gun, as it were. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Um, Iron Man 3, it would would have, uh, it'd be around the same rating is like iron man 2 maybe i don't think it's particularly up there in in the um in the marvel annals of i mean they're they're all up there but i'm gonna say like not it doesn't crack 80 it'll be like high 70s right so it doesn't crack 80 yeah it's 80 fuck (laughs) uh so it's the 15th highest if you're going by letterbox uh sorry rotten tomatoes Mm -hmm. uh ranking and uh what's it about my friend. Well, I've written down some synopses, um, and okay. Iron Man 3 is the most complex of Phase 2's synopses. I don't know if it's the most complex film, but it was the hardest one to like convey all the pertinent information in a succinct way. So here's what I've written. Um, after the events of the Avengers, Tony Stark now suffers from 
post-traumatic stress disorder um, during a national terrorism campaign on the United States led by the mysterious Mandarin. Uh, the Mandarin is also in cahoots with an old jilted fan of Starks named Aldrich Killian. Is it Aldrich? Drich? I don't know. I think they say it both ways in the film. Wow. Let's say Aldrich. Okay. Aldrich. Um, who has been developing an experimental regenerative treatment called Extremis that allows recovery from crippling injuries, but will also explode the user if not handled properly. So that's like a spoiler-free. High stakes. Yeah, yeah. It's a spoiler-free kind of synopsis of the film. Okie dokie. So, mm. this is probably the film I'm least excited to talk about. Okay. Because every time we talk about it, you're like, I, like, because I, I don't, there is a big, like, um, issue with the film that a lot of people would point to. You love it. I'm kind of ambivalent on it. And, um, yeah, I don't like it, it's this weird thing of like where you're fully one way and I'm in the middle, but we don't have someone fully in the other direction, you know? Mm. Yeah. All right. So, what's the best way to kind of broach this subject? So, well, first we're of talking all, about we, the we... Mandarin twist. Um, yep. I mean, if you're listening to this and you don't know what we're talking about, uh, then it's weird for you to be listening to this podcast. Yeah, get out. <laughs> Leave me alone. Uh, but yeah, so. <laughs> If you don't know, and spoilers for Iron Man 3, uh, about two-thirds of the way through the film, or maybe closer to halfway, it is revealed that the Mandarin, played by Ben Kingsley, is actually just a front for- he, he's an actor called Trevor Slattery, who- He's real bumbling. He's like- Yeah. It's it's a dramatic contrast to the character he's playing, which props to Trevor Slattery. He's a good actor. Mm, props to ben, ben Kingsley for playing Trevor Slattery. I mean, they say Trevor Slattery's uh, lair is the toast of Croydon, wherever that is. <laughs> That's such a good line, man. Um, but yeah. yeah, so Aldrich Killian is actually the Mandarin. Which um, is a line inserted in there to be to like appease those who were mad that the Mandarin was a, was a fake out. Because uh, as I am to understand, the Mandarin is Iron Man's Joker from, yeah. from the comics. Um so that I think that so the reason people hated this was because yeah the the Mandarin is like is Iron Man's classic arch nemesis and they wanted to see him done, um you know to justice they wanted wanted to see a proper Mandarin be in a proper Iron Man movie, um now I've never read an Iron Man comic or graphic I've read the Civil War graphic novel that's about as close as I've actually read to a <laughs> Iron Man comic yeah um and look first of all. The Mandarin wasn't in the first two movies, and I, I remember the first two Iron Man movies, and I remember reading about it beforehand, and people were saying it's because he's like quite an antiquated, um, you know, uh, representation for communism fears. Yeah, he plays on the fears of like the Vietnam War and shit. Yeah, like that. yeah, things like that. So he doesn't quite work in a modern audience. Um, so there's one thing to consider. The other thing to consider is I don't really give a shit if it's like this is this is Iron Man three, which is a movie set within one specific interpretation of the Iron Man story, and I love that twist. People will hate me for this. People have have sworn at me online before because I I go out to bat for this twist. I thought it was hilarious and awesome, and like it was a great way to subvert expectations. And people always talk about 
how Mar- especially in fa- phase two's where this this conversation begun, people are always talking about how um you know the, the Marvel movies don't take risks anymore. They're all the same thing. M- Iron Man three is Marvel's riskiest movie because of that, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't know. I like because in in a group chat the other day, you you referred to it as like the last Jedi of of Marvel. I think Rowan referred to it as that, and I, I I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> but <laughs> then then you brought it up again later, and I was like, I don't have much else to say other than both films have a similar subversion of expectations. Yeah, that's, that's about as, as far as the metaphor extends. I don't know, and I'm pretty ambivalent on both both of them. They're like both these two like completely polarizing movies that I'm just like, yeah, you know what? Like, take it or leave it. Um, mm. I think it could be revealed to be like the Last Jedi if um, Episode Nine of Star Wars doesn't follow through with a lot of the changes because that's why I'm in an Iron Man Three. So it's risky. They made all these changes, but they didn't affect anything after it. Like, which isn't Iron Man Three's fault. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. Um, but. And we'll get to that more when we talk about Age of Ultron, yeah. uh, but it is very much like, because I remember at the end of Iron Man 3, I was like, how the fuck is Tony going to be in the MCU anymore? And yeah. then it's just like, oh, he's just, he just is, nothing changed. You can take Iron yeah. Man 3 out of canon and nothing changes. Yeah, and we 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 will talk about that a bit more in Age of Ultron because yeah. the, the, the talking points in my head for that feel like they should be with that film instead yeah, of this yeah, film. yeah. yeah. Um, so look forward to that in three hours. But yeah. um, <laughs> the the thing about the twist, yeah, I, I, I'm i like you. I don't f- follow Iron Man comics or anything like that. I was aware of the Mandarin beforehand, uh, just in, in my Googling of, of Iron Man. But I I think because another thing that became really clear in Marvel and, and the MCU phase two is Marvel's quote unquote villain problem that the, all mm. their villains are really boring. So they cast an Oscar winning actor like Ben Kingsley, who delivers this incredible performance for two thirds of the film. I'm not saying his performance as Trevor isn't, isn't great as well, because it is, but in a different way. Um, and then they're just like, Oh, it's CGI. Uh, Guy Pierce actually mm. is the villain. And he's, Gonna die in like you know ten minutes of him being introduced. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think the film did take a lot of risks, but at the same time, it's similar to uh, Iron Man two. Like you know, Iron Man two, we said there's a lot of good stuff in there, but it's it's so messy. Whereas I think Iron Man three has a lot of good stuff and a lot of bad stuff. And it's so messy that it kind of just ends up being like, eh, take it or leave it for me. Right. And also interestingly as well, for uh, on a personal note, is that you and I both went to the midnight premiere of this um, separately. We, were, we, we weren't together at the time. Um, <laughs> but I remember the next day um, and we, we, we were broadcasting at, at film school together and I, I knocked on your edit booth or you like stopped me in the hallway and you were like- What'd you think? And I was like, yeah, it was cool. And you're like, yeah, man. And that was like the first time we dissected a Marvel film together. And look at us now. Wow. Wow. I don't think I went to the midnight premiere, dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't go to the midnight premiere, but. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, like you did. So, um, <laughs> no, or like I remember whatever the earliest possible screening was, if it was people, like. A, people had seen it before me, I think. Anyway, that's I, not No, nah, because I remember you and I were the only two people in broadcasting school that had seen it. Was it Iron Man 3, was it? Yeah, 100%. You sure it wasn't like The Dark Knight Rises? No, nah, I am 100%. Oh, 
I confident on this because you were in second year, I was in first year. With, the only time, the only year we overlapped was 2013. Um, True. And yeah, no, I'm 100% confident I that it was Iron Man 3. I trust you. Um, yeah, I no, I really, really, really like Iron Man 3. Um, and I like that I like it. You know, I like what it tells people about my taste in film, that I like this kind of experimental risky um especially within a blockbuster context i don't you know i don't necessarily like risky films that aren't in blockbuster context like if i see like a real experimental art house piece i'm like whatever but if i like see something like the last jedi where it like intentionally goes out of its way to like give you red herrings and not do what you're expecting it to do i like sit up in my seat and i'm like okay so i guess that's part of part of why i like this but it's not just it doesn't just come down to the mandarin twist for why why i love this film yeah sure um i talked about uh, on the phase one episode how i really enjoy tony sark's character because um i really like seeing someone who doesn't take life seriously have to take life seriously you know and um or like have to act properly to save the world i think that's a really intriguing almost fish out of water kind of state to put your character in and i also talked about how i love that um tony goes to space and then as he falls out of space he's changed forever forever in quotation marks uh, and yeah, because he's forever, not real you know yeah <laughs> and that forever extends into iron man 3 and no further so i really yeah. love the ptsd stuff i love that he has panic attacks because we're seeing a character who's who's so cocky and i th- i think i think i attribute a lot of this to, to robert downey jr's acting because he plays a character that i don't know if it'd be particularly hard for robert downey jr to tap into right but then to be playing a character who would hate for people to see him in this you know when like um harley the kid he he shacks up with like um is that is that a bad term to use Uh, yeah i wouldn't use the term (laughs) he he hangs out with a kid for a bit of it and the kid sees him having a panic attack and or like when um he's having a bad dream and then one of the iron man suits nearly attacks pepper and he like wakes up and he's like just let me catch my breath and it's like i really like seeing tony stark be vulnerable it's real interesting because it's like this facade has dropped you know he's not being yeah. the the cocky smartass that he is for most of the film and i just think that makes him a, a really layered and interesting character um the only the thing i dislike the most about iron man 3 is actually probably the the just mechanics of the of the um of the extremist plot like yeah the, well the, like that, that's the thing that to me like something like extremist is just like boring you're just like yeah. you know you're just taking boring kind of characters cgiing them and then yeah no i agree yeah. i think but what I, I guess what i'm saying that's that is why even though i have a more visceral reaction to iron man 3 than i do to iron man iron man still ranks above it because iron man is perfect yeah right whereas iron man 3 the the b story and c story and the like emotional arcs are like wonderful and in my opinion some of the best character work the mcu has done but the actual plotting is take it or leave it yeah um so sorry back to the twist Mm -hmm. um so shane black explained the concept of of it being a twist like that and I, i think getting where he's coming from is really cool he basically explains that um it's about what like fear is at the moment and Mm -hmm. so what if um 
you know, like, because he's meant to be this, like, big, huge, super terrorist. And then in the end, it's actually revealed that it's just a myth perpetuated by, like, a, a, a shared consciousness, essentially, which yeah. is kind of like tapping into uh, the current political climate. You know, maybe it was a little bit before its time. Oh, shit. Um, but Kevin Feige said it was a huge risk. He said, uh, sometimes it's important to break tradition, even at the risk of alienating some purists. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. That's interesting that, that yeah they're they're quite happy to do that and they do that again in phase three but we'll we'll talk about that when we get to it but originally uh, it was it's been reported that originally the Mandarin twist would have revealed that it wasn't actually Aldrich Killian that was behind it all it was a female oh uh, possibly Rebecca Hall's character I think mm-hmm. uh, but Marvel said no people don't buy um, toys of females so um, yuck. Yeah. Yuck, Marvel. That's gross. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm like, I, I don't know if we'll talk about this much, but I am deeply uncomfortable that we, that uh, unless you count Guardians of the Galaxy, every Marvel movie is about a straight white male until Black Panther. Yeah. So many, ma- and, and even Guardians of the Galaxy, the, the clear protagonist is a straight white male. Yeah. It, that makes and, me and so And all the villains are tall Ragnarok are straight white males. Yeah. Unless. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they're, they're various colours, but they're all white. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and so, that yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me that Marvel would say something like that. Um, yeah. the, say what you want about the DC Cinematic Universe, but at least they did Wonder Woman as their third film. Yeah, know? but also it's like, you know, you're comparing doing the, like, one of the maybe three to five most popular like comic book characters of all time who's mm. female then you know having to kind of do which is a bigger problem in marvel yeah, like, yeah that's sure. what i was gonna say is um, that that's that's a more systematic issue that yeah that marvel could have changed it's not like wonder woman was a huge risk no when it's like if you were to list dc characters superman batman wonder woman you know no. um and so yeah whereas captain marvel isn't hasn't even always been a woman you know yeah so it's a bit more of a um, but yeah, I mean, like that, that is an issue with Marvel. I'm just saying that it's like, mm. it's not necessarily risky to make a Wonder Woman film. No, I didn't mean it was risky. I'm saying the opposite. It shouldn't be a risky move. Oh yeah. Like no. Ma- Marvel considers yeah, no, look, it a risky We're pro woman on this podcast. <laughs> um, so we, we talked about this last week as well. Um, we have a account on a website called Letterboxd, which lets you uh, rank films. And um, about six months ago, I ranked my MCU films. And I did this uh, with, um, you know, reckless abandon of a bunch <laughs> of movies that I'd seen, most of them only seen once. You posted it and were like, go ahead, challenge me on any of them. I'll fold immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's true though. Right? It's like I was, I was that... I, the only the only ones I wouldn't fold on, I would say, would be the Avengers being my favorite Marvel movie. Like that's a that feels from my heart. You know what I mean? Right, like yeah. that that feels like it's in my heart. But any other film you could challenge you like in my original ranking, my lowest one was Thor: The Dark World, and my second highest one was Thor: Ragnarok. And you could con- you could like argue with me that Thor: The Dark World is better than Thor: Ragnarok. Those are two very bad examples for this yeah. analogy. But but my my point being like I'm not precious or wasn't precious at all about where I ranked them. And well, so- yeah, yeah. The the main one I would say the main sort of thing I would say is that you were very anti Cap originally as i was anti every character except iron man until like phase three 
Okay, yeah, fair. I didn't. I wasn't anti them. I just didn't care about them. I never saw any of them. Any of their movies. The only other one I saw on the movies was Guardians of the Galaxy because I just didn't care about. But you didn't like. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Um, but yeah. So when we started doing our MCU rewatch, I have created a new uh, ranking. Um, so out of the twenty-one films in the original ranking I did, Iron Man three was fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, which includes two films before, which we're not covering till the uh, till Phase Three. And at the moment, in my redo, uh, Iron Man Three is third, but I would ex- I don't expect my top five to change too much from right. my original ranking. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so I've got it third behind Iron Man One and the Avengers. So those cool. are my top three Marvel movies at the moment. Interesting. Um- Iron Man 3 for me, I have seen all of these films multiple times. So aside from maybe one or two positioning, this, I don't expect mine to change. But I've ranked Iron Man 3 12th. Nice. And if you sort by average rating on Letterboxd, uh, it comes in at 17th. Too low. Um, Imagine so- if you agreed vehemently with that. You put it 15th. Like <laughs> 17th's too low. Just 15th. <laughs> 15th um, at least. So one thing this film does is a kind of, and it's it's a very deliberate choice, but it sort of strips back Tony. Like he's not really able to use a suit for kind of the second act of oh, the I film. I love that, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that, that's a really good choice. And especially coming off the back of the Avengers when everyone was like, how are they going to do solo movies now? Why don't they just call the Avengers? And that's a deliberate choice to answer that question, I guess. Mm. Uh, why can't he call the Avengers? Because, you know, his suit's down and his only phone was in it. Yeah. Um, and it also, um, it's later echoed in Spider-Man Homecoming when he tells Peter, if you, what is it, if you don't... Does, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. Which is a very, could be seen as a very rich thing coming from Tony Stark. But I think Iron Man 3 actually justifies him being able to say that because we see him stripped of his suit and he's still mm. a capable superhero. Yeah, you know? well, even the fact that he got, that he made the suit, you know... Mm. <laughs> makes yeah. him valuable and and it also it also is the first of the um og headlining three marvel heroes um iron man captain america and thor having their what if their thing is taken away from them movie which i would argue winter soldier does for cap and ragnarok does for thor yeah we'll talk about what it is when we get to winter soldier yeah. Because I'm not 100 percent sure what you're referring to. Yeah, it's less. It's not as explicit. And yeah, uh, no, actually, it's it, yeah. Now that I think about it, it's actually if if it's what if blank was taken away, it's it's very cleverly handled in Winter Soldier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's let's remember that and remember that it when like, we talk I'm gonna, about. I'm gonna write it down. <laughs> oh fuck! I don't have a pen. But it it, it is a good um, it is a really good idea for your superhero sequel. You know, I've I've talked a bit before on Cold Popshire about one of the reasons I love Spider-Man 2 so much is because it's um, Spider-Man in crisis and he starts losing his web and he questions. That, that whole movie is so excellent because it's about questioning the the identity he he achieved and mastered in the first film. And so it is it is a good thing to throw your superhero through in their sequel, I think. Yeah, you're right. Um, Thanks, man. So, <laughs> um, this film has a very interesting, um, I guess, cameo in it. Um, so, you've watched, there's a documentary on Netflix called Abducted in Plain Sight. Yeah. 
you've seen that it's about this if you haven't seen it it's a very very fucked up documentary true crime um check it out because if you like being incredibly frustrated at the world and um don't like enjoying things then check this out yeah um it's the game of thrones of documentaries (laughs) yeah um and it's about its subject this this little girl who was abducted twice in the 70s or 80s is now all grown up and she's an actress and she's an iron man 3 um so there's when we see inside a control room when there's like the Mandarin broadcast breaks into programming, a blonde woman is like, Oh, what's going on? That's Jan Broberg. Wow. Very cool. Um, another thing, are we moving on from Iron Man three? Not even close. Not really. Well, I don't know. Close, I guess. Um, I just want to say, I think another reason I love this movie so much is because, uh, Shane Black, I, I, he hasn't made enough good films for me to say he's one of my favorite directors, but sure. he is one of my favorite directorial voices that sure, yeah, okay. desperately needs to be utilized better than The Predator. Yeah. Um, so I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's one of my favorite yeah. movies. So does Robert Downey Jr. And that's why um, when John Favreau stepped aside, he said, bring him in. And, and everyone sort of agreed that uh shane black is the only director that they'd be comfortable taking over john favreau you know because they were like john favreau is iron man they're like well actually you know shane shane would do a pretty good job um just a couple more little things um tell me them so one uh this film famously had extra scenes shot for china the chinese release uh which were they hated them in china and (laughs) Most people hate that they exist, but if you uh, don't speak Chinese and don't want to look, look them up, um, they're about they're all about the uh, surgeon who removes the arc reactor from his chest at the end of the film, um, who's Chinese, and he's also there's a, a woman in these scenes played by Fan Bingbing, who is that Chinese actress who went missing and. It's, there was a whole big thing. I kept on seeing it. I read it. Uh, but she was an Iron Man 3, technically. She's part of the MCU. She's and part of our um, missing or murdered actors in movies that we've yeah. watched on this podcast. She's back Club. now. Oh, okay. Yeah. And well, it, this this film has the two people that we're missing and then returned. Who's the other one? Jan Broberg from Abducted in Plain Sight. Oh, of course. Just Duh. talked about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's all about, because it's it's glossed over in the film, he's just like, oh, actually, you know what? I'm going to get my arc director taken out, even though we established I couldn't do that. And <laughs> then he just doesn't. It's very easy. But turns out uh, this one Chinese surgeon is actually the only person in the entire world that could do it. Oh, so it's necessary for the plot. Um, well, I mean, it's just this. if you want to just see this surgeon go about his daily life for like four minutes, then yeah, sure, mm. it's necessary yeah. in the plot. It's, it's, it I mean, it could be a line to, of dialogue, you know. Yeah. It'd be hard to incorporate a character like that from earlier in the movie and make him relevant the whole way through so that he can save Iron Man at the end. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um this uh also the original final line you you like um symmetry and dialogue and stuff the original mm. final line for this film was i am tony stark whereas now it's i am iron man which is the same as the first, the last line from the first film uh mm. what do you think of i am tony stark um that's all right because the the movie the iron man 3 uh, if you didn't know what was to come in the MCU, as as we've talked about a little bit already, uh, and as we'll talk about again, 
you would be forgiven for thinking this was Tony Stark's b- swan song, his his bowing yeah. out of the series. Um, and it, and I, when I first saw it, I thought that that's what it was, you know. Mm. And I, I um, think there was sort of I don't know contract disputes, or like it wasn't one hundred percent that he was returning after yeah. this. Um, well, they certainly leaned into that possibility, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I I quite like I am Tony Stark in a, in that kind of sense, but I also like i am iron man just for its symmetry but what i think it would have been better if he and i think this is what the line is a reference to is is if he said you know who i am because at the start of the movie he he has that written on a name tag and that's kind of like a you know it's this cocky kind of thing that totally sets the character you know who i am you know and he says it a few times towards the beginning and so i think when he says i am iron man i think that's an answer to you know who i am interesting interesting um, I've always kind of felt like that. Uh, yeah, no, cool. But, but there is an argument that the, I am Tony Stark versus I am Iron Man is, is what we're saying about the suit versus the man thing. That yeah. Well, he is Iron Man. He'll yeah, always yeah, like, be Iron even Man. Even without the suit, he's Iron yeah. Man. Or like I am Tony Stark is like I'm, I'm a superhero even without the suit. Yeah. Well, you can look at it either way, I guess. Yeah, but the, apparently they, they wanted to like improve the um, the like mystical qualities of it. Hmm. Um, interesting now a fun little thing that we can play along this is my last note about iron man 3 fun little thing that we can play along and actually i sorry i have no actually i'll do that later on um <laughs> uh, one fun little thing that we can play along with i'm excited to play along with it dude you've been yeah no, I've, said, I've been i've been hyping it up for seconds now yeah uh is that in every film in phase two a character loses an arm in reference to in the second film of the original Star Wars trilogy, Luke Skywalker loses an arm or a hand. Yeah. Um, so do you remember what it is in this film? Yeah, it's one of the... Um, every time I go to say extremists, I nearly say Existence, which is that Jude Lord virtual reality video game movie. It's one of the extremist soldiers. Uh, right? yeah, Killian. Killian yeah, loses oh, Killian, arm. yeah. Yeah. Um, in the final battle. But yeah, I, th- I think it might actually happen earlier as well. Hmm. Um. Speaking of Jude Law, he almost played Aldrich Killian. So good, they look the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, it, they it, have the same type. <laughs> it's funny. I remember like when Iron Man three was like about to come out. It was like if you if you were to tell me five years ago that um, Guy Pierce would be playing the villain in a Shane Black written and directed Iron Man film, so I wouldn't know what any of those things mean. But now, like. Mm. Like, it was only in the few years leading up to that that all of those things meant something to me. Because Guy yeah. Pearce is one of my favourite actors. Yeah. Um, and Shane Black again. Uh, yeah, after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And- I think about that a lot with, like, because when was the Civil War graphic novel written? Uh, it was like 2006. Was it? Oh, okay. I remembered it being during, like, after the MCU had begun. And I always thought that was an interesting thing that the, the MCU was now adapting something that came into existence after it had started its birth. Uh, well, the um, the lineup of Guardians of the Galaxy that was adapted for the film uh, only started in 2008. Wow, okay. So there you go. There you go. Uh, so next we have Thor the Dark World. One more thing about Iron Man 3. Yes. One Another thing I don't like about it. Okay. I don't like that the president's a main character or that he's like very important to the to the climax of it. Right, okay. I just don't think it's cool when the president's a main character. Okay. No, I'll, pr- I'll probably cut that part out. All right, go on. <laughs> uh, 
So, Thor The Dark World was directed by Alan Taylor. That also came out in 2013. What has Alan Taylor done? Uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, he, he was a TV director. Mm. Um, so, this was the height of their gun for hire kind of grab anyone who's ever directed anything. Uh, Damn, we missed our window. I know. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I mean, now's as good a time as it. No, actually, we'll save it. We'll save the original director for just a moment. Okay. Um, AJ, can you just tell us what this is about? Yep. Uh, Thor The Dark World. Um, this is very, very slightly adapted just from what Wikipedia says. I think I added one sentence. Nice. Um, Thor teams up with Loki to save the nine realms from the dark elves led by the vengeful Malekith, who intends to plunge the universe into darkness using a weapon known as the Aether. And the Aether is like a floaty liquid cloud thing. Mm. But is it the uh, is that what all it appears to be? I know it's an infinity stone, but I don't know what infinity stone no, it is. It's the reality stone. Okay. Uh, so what does the reality stone do? Uh, reality can be whatever I want. Wow. And is that is that emphasized with the ether being used? Uh, this could have been a real fun movie if they'd used leaned, leaned into the reality altering. Yeah, well, I, I think around this time when they were like, we're setting up the Infinity Stones and they weren't quite sure how powerful to make them because, like, mm. in the comics, it's like the reality stone, reality gem in the comics, um, gives you complete control over reality. Time gives you complete control over time. And so they were like, we actually have to nerf or, you know, make them a little bit weaker in the movies. Otherwise, it's just too OP. And whereas, you know, which kind of sets an up- Overwatch reference? What? Nerf? That's not Overwatch. Isn't it? No. I- I've only ever heard it in the context of overwatch oh really no it's a reference to nerf guns wow um because nerf guns aren't as powerful as real guns well yeah they i think they made nerf guns weaker <laughs> that's such an understatement what nerf guns aren't as powerful as real guns uh the first established use of the term was in ultima online as a reference to the nerf brand of toys whose bullets are soft and least likely to cause serious mm. injury interesting very good uh okay anyway so they weren't sure how it's strong to make them, and I think they, I think they probably made the right choice. I mean, maybe I don't know. It's I don't know. Is- I don't know how it works in the comics, but um, sure, why not? So, what do you hear this says on Rotten Tomatoes? This has got to be the lowest one of them all, right? It is the lowest one of them all. But what do you think it's sitting on? Like sixty, sixty what? Nine. <laughs> too high. Damn it! <laughs> oh, it is too high. Uh, Sixty-six. Yeah. And it is the lowest rated of this, the But how, while this was the lowest rated in my original MCU ranking. Now actually, it's number one. <laughs> no, now it's second to lowest. Um, I put it above The Incredible Hulk and the original Thor. Which is interesting because The Incredible Hulk is on your list of films that you love but everyone hates. And now it's the lowest rated in the, in the MCU. That, that list is like relative to how much I love it to have relative to how everyone, how much everyone hates it. Yeah, because because uh, like yeah, it's it's called like AJ's most loved films that everyone hates or something like that, and it's yeah. got like that and Iron Man two on it, and I was like, you don't you you would not go out to bet for these films. I would be like, Iron hey, Man actually, too. no, I like I quite like it. Incredible Hulk occupies the same space in my mind as something like Space Jam. 
Well, not well, my but you hate it. I hate Space Jam, but <laughs> what I dislike Space Jam, but other people insist Space Jam's a good movie and it's not. And Incredible Hulk's like that for me, where I it just it was one of the only MCU films I saw multiple times and I, I like it, but I can objectively see that it's it's not as focused as something like Thor the Dark World. And I just thought it was a minor improvement on Thor. Like those bottom three are very like, uh, (laughs) 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 I don't, you know, again, you could convince me Thor's better than Thor the Dark World, but Uh, I I just thought it had slightly more stuff, you know, slightly more going for it. Um, Sure. I'm not passionate. Yeah. I um, I ranked this 21st um, out of 21. Uh, Letterboxd, if you rank by um, average rating, ranks at 20th, so second to last. What's last? Uh, I believe Incredible Hulk. Oh, yeah. Uh, so this film had a a pretty troubled production. Mm. It's hard to find a director at first, but then their answers were prayed. They uh, they prayed for answers and they got them. Uh, when Patty Jenkins signed on, Patty Jenkins, uh, who had only directed one film at that time, that was Monster. She's now directed two because she directed one woman. Uh, however, she left the project eventually. She's referred to hers would have, um, I think, focused more on the uh, Romeo and Juliet kind of love story, uh, mm. the, the forbidden love between Thor and Jane. And um, instead, we got this. She, I remember reading a statement about her leaving. Do, do, do you have that written down? Uh, no, but if you want to say it from memory, it was, go for it. It was something like um, she basically, one of the reasons she left was because she didn't want the first woman-directed Marvel movie to be yeah. about a love story. Yeah, She was yeah. like, it's so, it's so typical and it's so, I, you know, it, it would be a disservice to woman directors everywhere to make this yeah, and good on her for for making that call. I'm sure I'm sure that was a big mm. call to make. But I also think the Romeo and Juliet aspect of the Thor, the first two Thor movies, is very, very forced. And it, yeah. it, it wants us to think it's Romeo and Juliet, but, but it's actually Portman, more like um, Romeo and Juliet because yeah. it sucks. Well, no, Romeo's all good. It's the Juliet that. I, no, no, I'm saying, I'm saying is, the movie Romeo and Juliet sucks. I'm not saying. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, not just said, just making up a word. I thought you were making a portmanteau of no and Romeo. Nice. I wasn't, but very nice. Romeo and Juliet. There you go. Oh, yeah, good. Natalie Portman. That's who. Uh, who we talked about last week does not does not want to be in in these films. Um, and while she at least showed up for the first Thor movie... Her acting ability didn't show up for the second. <laughs> and she's unconscious for a lot of this film, and I actually thought that um, Kat Dennings' uh, Darcy had the what like the, the lion's share of, of that, of who, who Natalie Portman's... what Natalie Portman's role or Jane Foster's role in the story should have been. Yeah. Okay. Um, I somewhat agree. Yeah. But not uh, completely, and here's why. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't think Darcy necessarily should have been as big a part of the film as she. I don't think she should have been. And I'm the fact they was. gave the annoying sidekick an annoying sidekick <laughs> um, because she hires an intern, and then and he doesn't really do anything. He's not played by anyone of note. No. Speaking and of people important. of note, uh, Chris O'Dowd's in this film as well, um, yep. and you'll be forgiven for forgetting that because Chris O'Dowd forgot. 
Uh, there's an interview with him after Infinity War where someone's like, oh, I do just want to bring up um, like uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, the, the fate of uh, the fan favorite character, Richard. And he's like, what? He's like, oh, I'm in those. <laughs> this is also, is this our first franchise in which a character in one film has been named Richard and a character in another film has been named Alexander, which is my real name? <laughs> Who, who's Alexander? Oh, Alexander's the, the bad guy in Captain America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his last name. Alexander Pierce. Just... Um, yeah. Okay. Alexander Penis. Um, <laughs> that's your full name. <laughs> um, yeah, so... What do we what do we have to say about this film? The, despite all its flaws, and I mean, it's just like the film's just just it, it's very. It, uh, if you're describing what you don't like about Marvel, you're describing this film. Hell yeah, dude! What a great way to put it. So this this is what I feel is the um, this was this was the first film where it wasn't the first film that had this, but it was the first film where <laughs> it's someone- not the first film. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> This wasn't the first first film in the MCU that did this, but it was the first film where someone bought it up, where they were like, man, they really wasted the talent they they used for the villain in, the, in this film, didn't they? You know, like, you could say the same thing about previous Marvel movies, especially, like, I don't know, Guy Pearce and Iron Man 3 or whatever. Um, but, yeah, uh, Christopher Eccleston, who's yeah. a fantastic actor, was yeah. cast as, as Malekith and has one of the most unnotable, uh, like uninteresting oh he's the worst villain marvel's done yeah and again it's if you if you complain about the villains and why they suck it, you're describing this one to a t and mm. he's christopher eccleston hated playing malekith yeah. and has said that like marvel lied to him about how long about the makeup and stuff like that because it would take him like six to eight hours each day to get into the makeup and marvel didn't tell him about that and so he was uh quite upset is that why he's upset yeah, well, I, I thought he was upset because it was a shit villain. Probably, <laughs> and I mean, like uh, Natalie Portman tried to get out of the film when Patty Jenkins left, um, and sh- but she was contractually obligated, and she was like, "Well, I'm not going to try." <laughs> uh, yeah, so there we go. That's the, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about this. The film. saving grace of this film would be Stalin Skarsgård, who's yeah. Got, I, quite watching good- these films again, I'm like, man, he's so cool. Yeah, he's like they kind of. Even though this film's like kind of super serious, it also leans into the comedy and in, in some weird ways, like giving the the quirky sidekick a quirky sidekick, and then having like Stellan mm. Skarsgård run around naked at Stonehenge and stuff like that. It's like, mm. oh, okay, you know, you're, you're a, reducing a f- quite a good character to to a yeah. silly joke, and a fun piece of. Um- unplanned didn't ask for your permission poorly placed statistics is that this is our second franchise in which more than one film in the series came out in the same year that stars stalin skarsgård who gets naked very cool <laughs> <laughs> um so he got naked in nymphomaniac yes which released both films at the same time yes just to clarify thank you so thank you. For all of its flaws, this film does contain one of my favorite moments in the MCU, and that is when Loki and Thor are gearing up to leave Asgard. They um, are wandering through, and and Loki's like, oh, surprised you're trusting me. 
and then he turns Thor into Sif because he can like you know project things and then he's like oh maybe you'd be more comfortable if I you know was one of your new friends seeing how you love them so much and then he turns into Chris Evans as Captain America and he's like hey want to have a a conversation about justice and God bless America and it's uh, it's so great I like I squealed when I saw that in the cinema and that's funny because you can see on the on the DVD or whatever and online that uh, Tom Hiddleston did the cameo in the Captain America suit and doing the accent and and acting it out. So he did it. And I think it was maybe going to be like if they couldn't get Chris Evans, you know, he was just going to dress up as him and that's fine. Uh, but then Chris Evans came to see it and had to imitate Tom Hiddleston making fun of him. That's great. Um, and so he said he saw it. He's like, oh, I've been trying not to play Captain America like that for two years now. <laughs> um, because, you know, it's so over the top, God bless America kind of mm. stuff. Is is Chris Evans' cameo in Thor The Dark World the only non-post-credits cameo of a main Avenger? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if we're encountering... Incredible Hulk's Tony Stark scene as being post credits. Yeah. Um probably. Although uh I guess Chris Evans appears in Spider Man Homecoming in the post credit scene, but he is also earlier in the film as well. Yeah, but this okay, so this is the first one that that happens in. Yeah, sure. And it only happens with Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he's not doing anything. Mm. I thought um the climax of the well, not the climax, the part with the when they go to the dark world itself and um uh they fight some of the villains and Loki gets fake killed. I thought that was such a weak scene. Yeah, and a hundred percent. And the thing about that scene as well is it's just an open plane. Oh, and it's the, boring. The fight scene oh. at the start is just a forest on earth. Like yeah. there's nothing magical about these and for all of like Thor's issue, uh, the first Thor's problems as well. I, I, I think it's Asgard is beautiful. Like the the Rainbow Bridge, the Bifrost, everything looks so great. And I didn't mention, I don't think I mentioned this in the first Thor and the first um, podcast we did on this, but the design of the Rainbow Bridge in the first Thor is fucking genius. Like in the comics, it's literally just a rainbow. It's just seven strips of color that they run across to go to Earth. And the redesign of that into this like crystally kind of multicolored beautiful thing which was you know an idea that came from the first thor and stuck around is is genius it, mm. it looks so good I, I love the way the Bifrost, the rainbow bridge looks in the in the films yeah um yeah i i do want to talk about quickly i said i mentioned that i squealed in the cinema when i saw um cap show up and i've got a bit of a funny story about uh the first time i saw um for this the better be World. fucking hilarious dude uh for the dark world was coming out i was very excited and uh, uh so i got my friend paul to buy us tickets to the midnight premiere uh because we we're both very excited for the film and then the day of the you know that was that night uh he was very sick and so he had to be like sorry i can't go um take someone else grab, grab the tickets take someone else so i invited my girlfriend at the time um and we were like sweet we'll go and then he was like i oh, actually i'm better now um can i have the ticket back and i was like okay so it was this awkward thing and then he came over to my house and we watched the first thor 
And then we went to the cinema. It was, you know, like 11.30 at night. And we went to the cinema. And I was like, there's not a lot of other people here. And then um, the the upstairs of the mall was completely shut. And I was like, huh. You'd think that they would open it up by now, seeing as how they've got a movie on in 20 minutes. And there was someone vacuuming. And we were like, hey, we're here for like the midnight screen. She was like, what? No. And I was like, Paul, can I see those tickets? And I looked at it and it said, Thor the Dark Word, 12 p.m. <laughs> um, which, of course, as anyone who has passed primary school would know, that's midday. Mm. 12 a.m. or 12.01 a.m. as the midnight screenings were always uh, scheduled for uh, is midnight. Um, then we were like, oh, fuck, well, let's let's gun it to another mall and go to one of their midnight screenings. Because the mall we, that we booked for just didn't happen to be doing midnight screenings. And then we didn't get, we wouldn't have been able to get there in time. And I think they'd sold out. So we went home and I didn't go to a midnight screening. And that was better than what the movie turned out to be when you did see it. <laughs> <laughs> um if we're talking about first experiences seeing this movie, this is a real good segue into Captain America Winter Soldier. Ooh, uh, Tim Miller directed the prologue of Thor The Dark World. Okay. I just wanted um, to get that out there before we yeah, move on. Yeah. And uh, also, um, Chris Hemsworth grew out his actual hair. That's why his hair looks better in this film. Oh, cool. And also um, the, yeah. the loss of an arm in this film as Loki cuts off Thor's arm. Uh, yeah. So talking of seeing first time seeing the films. Yes. Um. I saw Thor The Dark World and Captain America The Winter Soldier for the first and only time until this podcast um, about a day before Avengers Age of Ultron hit cinemas, which I really wanted to see because I, I loved um, I loved the Avengers. Um, and yeah, I, we, I watched this with two... They won't be listening, so I can say this about them. Actually, they might be listening. I think the of, two uh, fucking worst people. It's, it's not a mean thing. Uh, this is seriously like they two of the most cynical people I know is what okay. I was going to say. So not necessarily a bad thing or a thing they would disagree with being called. Um, so we got out. We I think we rented Thor: The Dark World and Captain America: The Winter Soldier from like the vestiges of a video shop near our house that were video easy that was closing down, and we watched them all in, in the same night. Um, talked all the way, watched them both in, in the same night, talked all the way through them, made fun of them, you know, didn't get, didn't give them the, I'm ashamed to say we didn't give the films the attention that every film deserves if you're, if you're watching it. Um, and so my memory of Thor The Dark World was somewhat accurate that it was like a, another Thor movie that I had to sit through to get context for an Avengers movie and Captain America the Winter Soldier was another Captain America movie that I had to sit through to get uh, context for the new movie and it's just funny I guess that yeah that is my opinion on Thor the Dark World hasn't changed much since that last viewing but uh my view of Captain America: The Winter Soldier was uh, <laughs> it, it is it is a lot different to to what it is yeah. now because the amount of times I've heard you say like I don't see what the big deal is about Captain America: The Winter Soldier I've never said that um, it's zero um, <laughs> but you know uh, I have heard you say like uh, you know like it's overrated or you don't, don't see okay, what the big deal is maybe I have is. said that in the past but as and and understanding its its place and the way people talk about it in the MCU and superhero films in general, I came to accept that I just 
didn't pay it enough attention. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I, I saw that evolution over time. I remember you saying like, "It's not even good," or like <laughs> to to. And I remember the first time you were like, "You know, I've actually only seen it once, and I wasn't even paying attention." Yeah, and then I was like, "Well, that fucking—that's why." <laughs> that's the problem. No, I fully admit to that. Um, but in my defence, people didn't. At least in my in my circles, I'm sure they did. I'm sure. At least in I'm, my defence, I'm 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 sure I'm wrong in saying this. I f- at least feel like no one talked about the Winter Soldier being the best one until after Age of Ultron. Yeah, I never heard anyone talk about it with particular praise until after Age of Ultron. Sure, but. Uh- We're about to talk about it right now. So, the big one, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, 2014. Alexander, what is this about? Well, Richard, um, all right, again, copied. I think this is just straight copied from Wikipedia. Wikipedia is great for synopses. We should have been using them this whole time. Um, Captain America, Black Widow, and a war vet turned unofficial Avenger Falcon. I added that part. Um, you added the word Falcon? Like, they, they called him, like, a war vet turned unofficial Avenger, but didn't have his name. Yeah, yeah. Um, they joined forces to uncover a conspiracy within S.H.I.E.L.D., which is the... Have we talked about S.H.I.E.L.D. enough? S.H.I.E.L.D.'s, like, the agency that, that creates the Avengers. Yeah, the branch of the government that... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they uncover a conspiracy within S.H.I.E.L.D. while facing a mysterious assassin known as the Winter Soldier. Very Winter nice. does not have an H in it and therefore did not need to be pronounced like that. <laughs> so this is directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, or affectionately known as the Russo Brothers. This so- is the first one? This is their first one. The first wow, foray. What a, what, a, what a momentous... It know, is. Thing. And so the again, the directors were... They had their pick of whoever um they narrowed down to the russo brothers george nolfi who directed the adjustment bureau and if gary gray who uh did fate of the furious recently uh but he pulled out of the running to do straight out of compton straight out of compton is a good movie mm. so the <laughs> um the russos were um well they were just picked picked arbitrarily well they they were sought out after um, the the genre bending two parter paintball finale of season two of Community because they directed right. um a fistful of paintballs and for a few paintballs more. You remember that Community joke where they talk about how Marvel films are flavorless? Yeah, is that because they have ties to the Marvel? Franchise? Yeah, it's like it's like, a, it's like ribbing your mates kind of thing. Ah, I never, um, I never, because I'm pretty sure they specifically reference this movie. Right. Or like the Russo brother. Or like there's something that's very much like, ah, you know, we're, we're, we're all in on the joke kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this movie, what do you think it has on RT? 98. <sighs> Too high. Too high. 90. Here it is, I said it. 90. 90, yep. and it's the eighth highest. So yep. you got the numbers right. It's you only just- the eighth highest. Yeah. Really? In terms of Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. Wow. I... I rank originally, lol, on my original Cinematic Universe ranking before I'd seen it again, I ranked it 11th, which, judging by the the feedback I got for this list, was my most controversial placing, <laughs> <laughs> putting this 11th. But I mean, 8th isn't that much higher than 11th. Is that um, what it is now? No, but 8th is where we're Oh, oh yeah, sure, 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 sure. Um, now it is ranked 4th. So Avengers, Iron Man, Iron Man 3, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. 
it's it's relationship in my mind with Iron Man three is if you're angry that I put it behind Iron Man three, it's very much like a a. A decision from my heart, not a decision from my head. Yeah, you were talking about this last night that you were like, Winter Soldier probably is better. Yeah, it probably is. And it's it's more clean. It's certainly a more perfect film. Um, Iron Man 3 just has a place in my heart, I think. Um, but I guess more of a place in my heart than the Incredible Hulk, with which this lo- same <laughs> thought process and logic did not apply. So, <laughs> 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 um, so I, oh, my overall ranking, I ranked it fourth, and same as me. Yep. Um, but I'm ranking out of a lot more films. Um, yeah, that's true. And uh, Letterbox, if you sort by average ranking, it's fifth. It's not as for for one that's often like unanimously considered well not unanimous was a very poor choice of words there one that's often considered at least in people I talk to as the best Marvel film it's not re- it doesn't really reflect that with its online or like you know review or 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 clout you know yeah well do you want me to tell you like once I tell you what's above it it's like oh okay. Oh, what's it? I know, it'll be Infinity War. Yeah, so Infinity War's one. Spoilers for phase three of this podcast. <laughs> Infinity War's number one. Guardians, Thor, Ragnarok, Black Panther. So Guardians is the only other one that's like, oh, wow. But the other three are very much like there was a huge campaign to rank this five stars, you know? Mm. Um, and also Letterboxd is more popular. Like it's getting more popular. So films that come out later are often yeah. weighted higher. So, uh, yeah. Captain America Winter Soldier, this was one that I saw and was like, cool. I wasn't excited for a new Captain America movie. I liked the first one. I still defend it, but I was like, oh, the one after this is Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm so excited to see that. Oh, I can't wait to get to Age of Ultron. So this was very much a stepping stone. Russo's didn't excite me. Um, and then I saw it and I was like, this is pretty good. And then uh, a couple months later, I was like, fuck, that movie was real good. Yeah, <laughs> You know, like it's, it's one of those mm. ones that... At the time, I was just like, yep, yeah, cool. Tick to the box. But then the more I think about it, the more I was like, man, that actually really was a, a really cool film. And then uh, thinking about it in the years since then, I'm like, man, that is actually such a good film. And then watching it the other night, I remember because I was so like, AJ, you need to watch this and you need to like fully get in the world of it and fully accept that it is one of the best ones. And then watching it again, I was like, man, this is actually way better than I remember. <laughs> and it's like, I remember yeah. it being real good. Well, how do you think I feel? Terrible. <laughs> feel, you must feel like an idiot. Uh, this went up, what, six spaces or something like that in, in my rank? I mean, yeah. more films. But I think one of the things that's standing against it is Iron Man 3, Thor The Dark World, and this film, their posters all have the same color palette of, like, desaturated dark green. Yeah, and that's, that's where we start to get into that issue that everyone complains about with Marvel and yeah. and stuff like that. But Yeah, for, the, for what's considered by many to be the best MCU film, it is smack bang in the middle of Marvel's, like, kind of darkest or like least least positively reviewed i want to say phase but not referring to the phases themselves yeah because i think it it goes beyond phase two yeah sure um the phase malaise malaise phase mm, mm. but yeah it is the gas leak phase a little community (laughs) reference um yeah so this this introduced the russos into the world of um the 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 Avengers the Marvel cinematic universe and uh, boy are they here to stay mm. until they yeah, they're not doing anything the, after Endgame they kind of usurped um, 
Joss Whedon, really. As yeah, the- and we'll talk about that more probably when we get to Age of Ultron or Infinity War. At some point, I'm sure we'll fucking talk about it. Yeah. There's, okay. there's, there's like nine hours left of podcast about this. <laughs> so the thing that's so good about Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yep. I think I was watching it and it reminded me of Watchmen. It feels like it's the Watchmen of the MCU <laughs> because it's it's one of the only ones that really um, disrupts the foundations of the series. Yeah, like we talked about how Iron Man three is risky in, in a, Iron Man three is risky in a more obtrusive and um, in your face way with its villain. Captain America: The Winter Soldier is risky in the sense that it's like. It's foundational risk. It's stuff that would that changes everything before it and everything after it. Yeah. Because you find out basically that all of Shield is corrupt, um, which is real cool. And and the yeah the the basically just the fact that it's like validating a conspiracy theory people have about real government, you know. And yeah. um, the only, I th- so I thought it was real smart. I really loved. Um, how it kind of becomes a buddy cop movie between Cap and Black Widow. I thought their chemistry was really good, and I'm glad they um, didn't get together, even though they're the two most attractive people on the planet uh, <laughs> and didn't, you know, they, they, the the flirtatiousness between them is, like, utilised at some point when they're trying to blend in. They, like, kiss on the escalator, um, and then they have a fun conversation later on about how she asked him if she was his first kiss since the 40s, um, which all that stuff I really, I really dig, like, learning especially someone like black widow who having only seen these films once i had very little memory of her character like in terms yeah. of her personality so it's cool to see her having a bit more fun and personality in her in her characterization um so yeah i really like that that's probably my favorite thing about it yeah. the, the, those both those things the conspiracy theory plot and the um the dynamic i'd say the thing i the one thing where i thought okay this is what separates it from being a like renowned conspiracy thriller to a superhero conspiracy thriller is when they find it like a computer station and like the digitization of Toby Jones's character. What's his name? Adam Zola. Adam Zola. Um, from the first Captain America, like talks to them. I was like, yeah, this wouldn't fly in the adjustment bureau. You know, this wouldn't fly <laughs> in, in. And straight out of Compton. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that, I, I really like that part because um, Zola. I li- and- I, I'm not saying I didn't like yeah, it. I'm yeah, saying yeah. I understand. It was comic yeah. book. It, it's very yeah. comic booky, and and yeah, that's my point. Is that um, Zola in the comics is like a robot with a face that's like on a TV screen kind of oh, thing. Interesting. So um, when we first see Zola in um, the first Avenger, it, there's like this bulbous bit of glass that has a warped toby jones face on it mm. and you're like oh it's zola and then he like he says a couple of lines there and then the camera moves and you see that it's actually just a human being who was looking through a telescope or something like that to warp his that's, face that's to look really like his cool that's almost like what i was saying last week about name dropping their cheesy superhero names in a natural way yeah you know so yeah it, it's it's having a, a fun sort of somewhat realistic i guess or like yeah, grounded yeah. way to have his comic book form in the film and so that, i thought that was really cool hmm. um but yeah this 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 is sort of one of the is cited as when 
people talk about how Marvel's so good because the films are so varied because like Ant-Man's a heist movie and this is a like 70s political thriller they're superheroes with they're superhero movies with flavors of that like I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's uh, that it is a political thriller but I agree there is some really cool stuff like um Robert Redford playing the villain who's you know from like all the president's men those Mm. kind of movies yeah and Gary Shandling yeah, Gary Shandling's back. <laughs> um, Famous political thriller actor, Gary Shandling. And <laughs> uh, his last uh, on-screen film role before his death. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it wild that they took like kind of like the comedic, put upon, not even villain, but you know, dumbass mm. character from Iron Man Two, and made him a Nazi. <laughs> a Nazi <laughs> yeah, it's cool that they brought him back. Like, yeah, I, I agree. I really like they brought him back. Um, yeah. and one of the scenes he, he you first see him and he's talking so creepily about this like journalist this hot young journalist who's gonna go back to his house and bang yeah and it's like oh this is and it's like shandling you sell it too well mate you're doing this too well (laughs) yeah gary shandling's one of those guys that i've only kind of learned about in the last couple of years so it's cool seeing him in this kind of role when it's like he's actually like a a comedian yeah um and and he's playing this real creepy nazi in these films Mm. um but yeah, another thing we're talking about, like why this film is so good and why it works, I guess, is like 2014, uh, you had Captain America, the first Avenger, which wasn't horribly well received in um, the fir- in the Avengers. He's kind of just like the goody two shoes. And then you have his very washed out looking new film directed by a couple of guys from TV. It's right before Guardians of the Galaxy, which is the one everyone's excited for. And it's like, oh, who, let's just get this over and done with. And then right at the start of the film, he like, you know, crash, he dives onto this boat from a plane and just kicks this guy overboard. And it's <laughs> fucking brutal and it looks awesome. And yeah. it's just like, yeah, this is this is going to be a fucking cool movie. And I th- like, I love that scene at the start because no one expected this film to be like good or cool. Because, like, Captain America isn't really cool. He's kind of a dweeb. But this film specifically made him a great character. And re-watching the films, even going back to the first Avenger, I'm like, man, he's actually one of, if not my favorite characters. Because I think, yeah. yeah. I think what's so special about this film as well is that Captain America, as as a moniker for the character, goes from being, it's it's kind of, origins in world war ii propaganda to now quite a cynical and sad moniker like what is america you know yeah. like it's, it's america is the, is these shadow governments and these these conspiracies and he's like and he's he's the captain you know and so i think people have talked about that a bit but it doesn't really come up in the film but i think it's and maybe it's more implicit in Civil War. I can't remember, but mm. there's a sadness in being called Captain America and yeah. being being the character he is. And yeah, and, and um, like we talked about Iron Man being minus the whatever, and then Ragnarok obviously is mm. Thor minus the hammer. There we go. The Winter Soldier is kind of like minus government or minus order, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and he does lose his shield and costume. For somewhat, does he lose his shield? He loses his costume. He's not really. Yeah, he can't. He's in. He's in Mufti for a lot of it. And (laughs) my 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 point being, that's what it's actually called. I don't know why you're laughing. (laughs) Just just referring to as being in Mufti. What if if someone's not wearing a uniform? They're in Mufti. 
<laughs> it's nothing to do sure. with school. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just funny. Captain America bought in $2 for Muffy Day. <laughs> um, gold coin donation. <sighs> My point being is, like, it's not as explicit as Thor Ragnarok or Iron Man 3 in taking away the costume. But it, yeah, it, but- it, it is there. And it is, yeah, it is taking away the government. It's taking away America from him. Yeah, He's now and, an American and, fugitive. Because he talks about... And he mentions in the film that it's like uh, the world's at war and then he gets put on ice and he wakes up and, and he's told that they won. But did they really? Yeah. Like, what, what did we actually win? Yeah. And it's and- kind of like, and I love, and it's kind of touched on again in Age of Ultron when we see like his worst fear is that the war is over. And mm. so I, I love the, and I wish kind of it was explored more on the films that Captain America needs war to feel important. Yeah. And to to like feel like he has a purpose, and that's mm. such an interesting character flaw, I guess. That like, you know, like needing war, or and yeah. like like not feeling a purpose when there's no one to fight. When yeah. he's such like a a do good kind of character, but he's he's inherently violent in his nature. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I we haven't talked about the Winter Soldier at all, like the character. Yeah. Um, so the Winter Soldier is spoilers for the Winter Soldier and every following film, and um, every film by Marv and Marvel. Like <laughs> yeah, uh, so the Winter Soldier is Lieutenant James Buchanan Barnes, who is Cap's best friend from the first film, who tragically died when he fell from a train. Uh, but he didn't die; he just lost his arm. Eh? Hey, hey, hey! Come on. Um, so that's the arm loss for this film, and came back as the Winter Soldier. He's been brainwashed; he's had his memory wiped, and so Cap has this um, kind of you know this thing of like once he finds out who it is, he doesn't want to fight him anymore. You know, understandably, mm. I wouldn't want to fight you. Actually, I love fighting. I would beat the shit out of fucking. Um, How are no. you, dude? Uh. Yeah, so that, that is like a really interesting thing. And I remember when the trailer for Winter Soldier came out, I was talking to someone at broadcasting school about, and I was like, oh, it looks pretty cool. Eh? And he was like, yeah, but like, I don't know, it just looks so like inconsequential because like the Winter Soldier is like nobody. It's just some guy. So like, who cares? And I was like, <laughs> um, oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like, what a weirdly specific <laughs> you know complaint yeah. it's almost that, like that, you that know couldn't be more wrong yeah yeah it's like he knew what what it was and was setting up a sentence to prove himself wrong yeah but it, it is quite cool the character of the winter soldier as well is quite interesting um because essentially for decades in comics um like there was the three characters you can't bring back uh were spider-man's parents Oh, well, Uncle Ben um, from Spider-Man, Bruce Wayne's parents from Batman, and Bucky Barnes. So, like, he was dead for, like, 50, 60 years or something like that. Yeah. But the character was sort of brought back because just some some kid grew up really liking the character of Bucky Barnes and then his whole life wanted to become a comic book writer and then finally got that opportunity and thought, I'm going to bring back my old pal Bucky Barnes and it was a, it was very well received. The, the Winter Soldier is considered, you know, people love that character in the comics. It's such an interesting um, character to feel like you need to bring back. I wonder what it was about Bucky Barnes that this dude like loved <laughs> in the in his mm. original incarnation. 
Yeah. Uh, a few little Easter eggs in this film. So mm-hmm. one, uh, I remember being the only person in the cinema that laughed at this. Um, and I wonder if you picked up on it. Did you pick up on any little fun little Easter eggs into the end of the film? Yep. But you tell me them and I'll confirm that I knew them. <laughs> just, just give me one. Um, a missing person shows up in this film. Ah, you're right. No, you're not. Um, so uh, Nick Fury, quote unquote, dies in this film and then it turns out he's not dead. But he does continue to fake his own death and we see his tombstone at the end of the film. Do you remember what it says on the tombstone? I don't. What does it say? It says, uh, like, Nick Fury and then it says, in quotation marks, the path of the righteous man, dot, 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 Ezekiel 2517. That's amazing. Yeah. So that it's is so the 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 fictional Bible verse that uh, Samuel Jackson's character quotes a few times in Pulp Fiction, and I'm, it, it's it's only up for a brief second kind of thing. And in the cinema, I was like, <laughs> and then I like you know tap the shoulder of the person I was with. I was like, oh, you won't get it. Um, <laughs> the the um the, I like the fact that that the fictional Bible verse is canon in the MCU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so like as Pulp Fiction set in the same universe as the Winter Soldier. Um, and uh, my, the other little uh, fun Easter egg for you is, uh, so there's like the Captain America exhibit that he goes to. And yeah. uh, Gary Sinesi, Lieutenant Dan himself, is the voice of the exhibit. Yeah. He's the announcer. So, Well, I'll be a son of a gun. Oh my gosh, a son of a James gun. Yeah. Oh. Um, now, another fun little Easter egg, uh, and I, you probably know about this, but at the start of the film, uh, when Cap first meets uh, Sam, who's Falcon, um, they're talking about, he's like, oh, I must be crazy having woken, woken up. I like, know this one. Different. I understand this reference. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he says, oh, you know, like food's better. The internet's great. Been catching up. And then he says, Marvin Gaye, Trouble Man soundtrack. Check it out. And he says, I'll add it to the list. Which is a weird piece of pop culture to love. I've never even heard of of that song before. Is it a song or an album? It's an album, Trouble Man. Well, I mean, uh, and the song Trouble Man appears later on the film. But uh, I would say it's probably not in your wheelhouse. <laughs> Marvin Gaye, <laughs> 70s film soundtrack. Probably not, you know, the, the AJ special. But so this uh, had different, his his. Because we see a shot of his list as he adds Trouble Man soundtrack to it. Um, and each, well, not each country, but th- they made a bunch of different versions of this list for each country. And they had a thing where it was like, you vote online for what Cap should should like, should should write in his list. So yep. every country had Thai food, Star Wars slash Trek, Nirvana, and then in brackets, Band, Rocky, and in brackets, Rocky 2, question mark, and Trouble Man soundtrack. In the US, which is the version on the Blu-ray for some reason, has uh, I Love Lucy, Moon Landing, Berlin Wall, Up Plus Down. Um, <laughs> imagine like someone writing, like, like uh, oh, you have, to, you have to like um, look up the Berlin Wall. And he's like, oh, well, he's like, oh, and, and like when it went up and when he's like, oh, up and down. And, like, and they're like, oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, and I Love Lucy was real good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Steve Jobs, Apple and Disco. Um, so in the UK, you've also got the Beatles, Sir, Sh- Sir Sean Connery, and Sherlock. I thought you were going to say Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, it's like she's real good. And <laughs> in, in, um, what movie had came out with Saoirse Ronan in twenty fourteen? The Grand Budapest Hotel. Nah, 
That was 2014. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Came out in January as well. Very cool. Very nice. Very good um, reference. So there was a version for New Zealand and Australia, which had wow. ACDC, Space Travel, Steve Irwin, Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, and Tim Tams. Like, who the fuck is telling, like, Captain Steve Rogers, check yeah. out Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, which is kind of why I wasn't 100% on board with, like, this that it's like because it's supposed to be like you know he's an international hero he's not just american um which was a worry when they were making the film they're like it's not gonna have international appear because he's just captain america so they were like he's a hero for everyone you want what you guys to feel imagine imagine if the new zealand one was like pavlova and <laughs> nick yeah. minute uh oh jason God, Gunn. It's, nick minute. <laughs> it's just it's like clearly he's been talking to a new zealander <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but so uh, Bro Town, you got to check out Bro Town, man. <laughs> which for our international list, list, uh, listeners is like New Zealand's The Simpsons, which aired for a how, very, which is how they describe it. Yeah, br- very brief spattering of time in the early two thousands. We had a cartoon called Bro Town that I was never allowed to watch as a kid. Yeah, it, you didn't miss much. Um, I've seen it since. Yeah, uh, so Italy a lot has- of poo jokes, a lot of poo jokes in that show. Yeah, there was. Um, Italy has Vasco Rossi, Ferrari's victories at the F1 Grand Prix, and Roberto Benini. Uh, French one has a few, but it's got Fifth Element and Daft Punk. Korea has Old Boy. Uh, Latin America has Shakira. And I found this out while watching the, like years ago, watching the, um, like special feature about this. But Brazil has Rafa Nadal and Chupa Chups. Chupa Chups. Do you know it's pronounced Chupa Chup? Like the lollipop Chupa Chups. Uh, I I recognise the that it's pronounced that way, but seeing as it's a stupid decision, I choose to ignore <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, Chapa Chaps, which I guess aren't like an international thing, I suppose. Um, they're like a, a popular Brazilian candy. It's just like a lollipop. And they're pronounced Got to be New Chups, Zealand's most popular lollipop as well. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> nice. Um, can I ask you, AJ... Mm. In Captain America the Winter Soldier, biologically, how old do you think Captain America is was is supposed to be? When is Winter Soldier set? Uh twenty fourteen. So I'm talking biologically as in what his body thinks it is, not because it was frozen oh, okay. for Oh, he's gotta yeah. be like twenty nine. Yeah, he's twenty eight. Yeah. That's crazy. It seems so weird that he's that young. But it like it makes sense because he only like just signed up for the army. Was Chris Evans that young? Uh, I do not think so. <laughs> so so what? Sorry, I don't need you to find out how young Chris Evans is. I'm saying like it's canon that he was frozen at 27. Yeah, yeah. And Black Widow's 29. Oh, an older woman. <sighs> they don't get together. I need to make this clear. They don't get together. Um. Yeah. Okay. So. What else should we should we keep talking about Winter Soldier? Is there more yes, stuff? Yes, I do say? want to keep talking about Winter Soldier because uh, one thing that you don't like, uh, but I'm I'm I don't mind is uh, you know those honest trailers yep. that they do. Uh, so Screen Junkies, if you're not familiar with them, Screen Junkies do um, honest trailers for films. So it's like just a way to poke fun mm. at films. Uh, they're often lumped in with um, Cinema Sins, which is actual garbage. Um, I honestly don't can't tell the difference. However, 
um, I am comfortable announcing that I'm not a big fan of Honest Trailers because they seem to love inviting people on their show that don't like Honest Trailers. <laughs> so whatever. Yeah, but, but like I've, I've, the general difference and often there's been quite a few times where people are like, this is trash. And then they've said, actually, now that I've looked into Honest Trailers, it's not as bad as CinemaSins. What a reputation Cinem- to have. <laughs> yeah. Like CinemaSins is... Um, uh, a moron pretending to be a legitimate film critic, whereas um, I, gu- I guess Honest Trailers is more like, hey, we're in on the joke too, or at least like trying to be. And and if you look at the two of them, one uh, is like a uh, an asshole that wants to be a film critic. The other one's made with love to to poke fun at films. I, um, I guess, but it's a your average person probably isn't going to see the difference yeah, between yeah, those. Two exactly, things. but like there, there's numerous examples of celebrities calling them out and then being like, oh, actually, I was wrong. But um, they brought the Russos on to uh, react, to direct to the uh, Winter Soldier Honest trailer. And the Winter Soldier Soldier Honest trailer is pretty much just like, um, it's actually real good. (laughs) Like... (laughs) And because that's the thing, like, like you know, they say, like, we're honest trailers. We don't just nitpick the films. It's like, if the film's real good, they'll just say that. And then so there's a bit where they're like, um, okay, I guess there's these are some flaws. And it's just, like, lists a couple of, like, potential flaws. But it's like, but this bit's fucking cool. Mm. And then the Russos said that they, while, like, developing the film, they actually would talk about honest trailers a lot. And said that while making the film, they were trying their hardest to, like, honest trailer proof it. Wow, that's and really cool. So th- that's that's so funny to think that like on set these guys are like, they, they, and they said they were talking about certain scenes and they're like, oh, they're going to give us hell for this bit. And they said that for every like logical leap the film has to make, they made sure to put like something real cool in there as well. Yeah. So they they, they said you know can if we have to do something a little bit dumb, can we at least make it look real cool or chuck like a fuck you moment in there so that it kind of cancels each other out and. You could say in some ways that it's like, oh, no, like, you know, internet criticism is like affecting the way films are made now and they're not going to take risks. But in a way, I mean, like for these kind of films, especially, it works really well to have, you know, the, the filmmakers be thinking about these simple little things that can be overlooked um, that actually do affect your viewing of a film. For sure. And when people say, oh, it's going to, or if people say it's going to affect how risky a film is, the thing is, I guarantee you any director worth his salt or her salt isn't going to be, or their salt, because this is directed by two people, um, isn't going to be... Uh, or non-binary directors. Yeah. Isn't going to be uh, the the ones that are telling, that are deciding to go safe. That's, that's the producers. So... Directors yeah. can try and critic-proof a film. That's fine because they're yeah. not the ones. Like it's it's a producer trying to critic-proof a film. That would be what you're worrying about then. Mm. Like you never hear of a director when it, whenever like a film comes out that people say is too safe or bad or whatever. You you often hear the director kind of quietly you know lament that fact and say that they tried to do. I mean, there's ones in the MCU that this has happened with. You know. Yeah, so. for the Dark World is a classic example. Or, um, Alan Taylor's said, oh, no, no. "Yeah, or whatever." Age of Ultron, you know, Joss Whedon's come out and talked about. Yeah, he um, didn't like working with it. and Christopher Eccleston. I know he's not a director, but he's still one of the more passionate parts of 
making a movie would be the actor. So, uh, so that is uh, Winter Soldier. Yeah, it's it's it, it deserves its praise. I would say. Yes, it's very cool. Very cool film. So next, we're up to Guardians of the Galaxy, which also came out in 2014. Guardians of the Galaxy, and it was directed by James Gunn. James Goon. A uh, gun for hire, if you will. So <laughs> chokes, chokes from laughing. <laughs> uh, so, AJ, what is this film about? Guardians of the Galaxy. All right, so this is what I've written down. I did. I didn't just copy this one straight from Wikipedia because it didn't oh, have enough information. Boy. I felt so. I added a little bit. See if you can work out the specific words I added. Don't do that. That sounds <laughs> okay. super tedious. Don't worry about it. Um, abducted from Earth at a young age, interstellar criminal Peter Quill forms an uneasy alliance with a group of extraterrestrial criminals, including Gamora, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, and Drax. That's all of them, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they join forces to go after a warlord named Ronan and stop him from using the unbridled power of a mysterious orb. Mm, what's in that orb? It's one of the stones. Which stone is it? Power stone. Pa- there's a, just a power one? Yeah. What are the infinity stones? I don't know. Um, <laughs> let me, I'm going to write them down as I write them so I make sure I get all of them. So there's six infinity stones. Um, you have got reality, mind, soul, time, power, and don't tell me. Don't tell me. Uh, I don't remember what you said. <laughs> Reality, mind, soul, time, power, space, space. Um, the tesseract. At the, yeah, at so the after Ant Man, can we talk about where the Infinity Stones are at this point in the story? Uh, yes, I do want to talk about it during Age of Ultron. Actually, okay, cool. All right, so Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, what do you think that has on Rotten Tomatoes, Richard? <laughs> Just switch, <laughs> switch the host. Oh my to gosh, me. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm guessing like ninety one. Is it ninety one? It is. Wow. I managed, I did it. You did it. In my original letterbox ranking, I put Guardians of the Galaxy 10th. Um, another probably more controversial one. Yeah, uh, that is one of the ones that people, because as I mentioned, as I spoiled before on letterbox, sort of by average rank, rating, it is second overall. Yeah. And so it was first up until, you know, this time last year. Wow. That's crazy. Um, I ranked it 8th. Yeah, so... Th- and at Ron Tomato's ranking, sorry, it's 7th. Right. So I ranked it 10th originally, and now I've ranked it 5th. So behind Winter Soldier, which it wasn't... It used to be in front of Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. Cool, yeah. So this film... Oh, boy. What do we what do we say about this film? Yeah. Marvel's first foray into the cosmic. Mm. James Gunn directed it. Uh, who uh, he beat out Peyton Reed and the duo of Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. Who that and they would later do Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Peyton Reed would do Ant Man. Nice. So it's interesting that they were just like, oh, um, <laughs> like it's a classic uh, job interview thing. Like, do you mind if we hold on to your details? And it's like, oh yeah, sure, but you're never going to get a call. <laughs> but sometimes you do. Wow. Then that let that be a lesson for podcasters everywhere. <laughs> um, that's a very, I'm not going to explain that joke. That's something podcasters will get. <laughs> Maybe other people won't. Um, Wait, is it? I don't, I'm just talking about trying to get guests, I guess. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and there, so- there you go, I explained it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've always had a very complicated relationship with Guardians of the Galaxy and James Gunn in general as well. 
Um, yeah, because it's like you don't support pedophilia. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, but neither does he, and I'll, I'll, you know, I don't want to slander the man. Um, he's done enough of that himself. Uh, but <laughs> the the. I, so one of my least favourite movies of all time, I acknowledge it's not a terribly made movie, but I hate it, is Super, directed by James Gunn, right? Mm. I, I, Which is funny because you hate it because of its like genre or like tone change, but I've heard you say in the past that you love like tonal changes. No, I hate tonal changes. I swear you like no, them. No, I hate them. I've told you, and you said, I think I like them. That was how the conversation went. Oh, okay. No, I just think Super's a really depressing movie. Um, but I really like Slither, which is a James Gunn movie. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen Slither, but I really like Super. Well, you'll probably hate Slither then. <laughs> um, so Guardians of the Galaxy. My my problem with this movie was always that I I love the characters. I think the characters are great, but the story uh isn't isn't anything special it's a very paint by numbers story and i just always felt that by 2014 by the what 10th marvel film yeah this is the 10th one you you can't do stories anymore that are we have to get object x before the bad guy gets it or else he'll have unlimited power like the very the most basic way of using a macguffin in your hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Story. I was always very disappointed by that. Um, but I will say that rewatching it now... Um, I I didn't really know what the the I never paid attention to the Infinity Stone storyline until like right before Avengers Infinity War. Like I forgot they existed. Yeah, and then everyone was right. talking about them, and I was like, well, okay. So I guess with the context of knowing that the orb is one of the Infinity Stones, it is a bit better now. I do see it as a bit more, um, a bit more working towards a larger thing. I guess. Uh, hmm. And I also think it is so. This ranking that I've done, I've I've skewed it more to how do each of these pieces make up the whole, right? So I I usually unless it's really good and and breaks those rules just because it's objectively a really good movie. I've ranked ones that that build the better um, simpatico with the rest of them than ones that are good but individual movies. If I was building it as which is the best standalone movie, I think I would rank Guardians of the Galaxy higher than than fifth. Yeah, okay, fair. Because I think it's a really good standalone movie. I think in terms of cinematography and just general filmmaking, it's one of the most inspiring entries in the MCU. Um, There's a scene where all the Guardians are in jail but like right when they first meet up and they're talking about how they're going to escape and while rocket in the foreground is talking about how they need to get this this battery from the central thing that's powering the prison um we see groot in the background who we haven't really explained who the characters are i guess probably don't need to (laughs) groot's a big tree man um 
and while so while rocket the raccoon's explaining this in the background you see groot reach up and pull the battery out just as rocket's like we need to do this part last right because we'll only have 30 seconds once you grab the battery and watching that one you know one shot of that happening i was like you don't get this kind of visual storytelling in the other you don't get it in russo films you don't get it in in the Thor films, you know, like, mm. so that's one thing I will give it credit for. And I know those, the, the diehards out there who love guardians of the galaxy will probably approve of me saying that, that it's in terms of filmmaking, it might be the best MCU film. <laughs> like in terms, you know, just in terms of the craft itself, it's the most yeah. inspiring and thought out and, um, uses the visual medium of film a lot more than the others in terms of story i think that's where it still falls down and in terms of how it creates a wider story which is what the mcu is all about and what this podcast is about when talking about franchises i don't think it is particularly special and it's also why i always in my original ranking and we'll see if this changes i always ranked volume two above guardians of the galaxy because volume two was those same great characters in what i consider to be a better story hmm very cool. Cool cool <laughs> opinion, bro. <laughs> um, so this, understandably, was a very hard film to cast mm-hmm. um, because, the, you know, they really wanted to really kind of go out there. Um, there was a lot of people read for the part of Peter Quill, a- a.k.a. Star-Lord, uh, including Joel Edgerton, Jack Houston, Jim Sturgis, Eddie Redmayne, Lee Pace, Aaron Paul, Logan Marshall Green, James Marsden, John Krasinski, Zachary Levi, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Michael Rosenbaum, John Gallagher Jr., and Glenn Howerton, Dennis from Always Sunny, who was James Gunn's second choice. Yeah, I love hearing Glenn Howerton missing out on certain cast things, like because he was almost- To um, Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was almost uh, Owen in Jurassic World, is that right? Yeah. I, I I remember when I found that out, just saying lines from Jurassic World and Glenn Houghton's Dennis voice. So I was like, they just made a new dinosaur. <laughs> it depends what kind of yeah. dinosaur they cooked up in that lab. Like just getting real neurotic and serial killer. Yeah. Just saying, like- saying Star-Lord lines. Be like, I'm Star-Lord. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, um, the I haven't, I haven't even begun to peak as, as like Star-Lord being like, I'm Star-Lord, man. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it would have been a very um- different interpretation of the character. I don't know if, I feel very bad for Glenn Howerton because out of all the Always Sunny actors, I feel like he's the one who's branched out the least. Um, and yeah, I, and it seems like he he wants to really bad. Like yeah. he's classically trained, and like as much as I would love to see his interpretation of the character, I'm glad that in the meme culture we live in, mm. that we didn't. I would hate to see like you just have the same fucking unoriginal jokes on every Reddit thread. Like the about ones how I just he's made. A five star man, and <laughs> he's a five star lord man. <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't think Glenn Howerton completely based in the one role i'm most familiar with seeing him in he is nowhere near as likable as chris pratt yeah Glenn, and that's Glenn the thing is that that's why they cast chris pratt um and there's potentially another good um in a guardian sequel another good character that he could play adam warlock but we'll get to that mm. when we get to phase four <laughs> um but yeah he's uh, James Gunn was so impressed with Chris Pratt's audition that he was willing to CGI abs onto him because, you know, he auditioned as just this schlubby fat guy from Parks and Rec. And he was like, this, he's so perfect. Mm. And Pratt was like, give me, give me six months. I'll get in shape. And he got ripped as hell. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this is also our first proper look at Thanos, this movie. Yep. Um, where, with Josh Brolin. Uh, who's uncredited. He's, he's not in it very much. Sorry? He's uncredited. Interesting. Because yeah, I was he's... like, is Josh Brolin Thanos in Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. And I so it was it like, oh, we need to cast Thanos so we can get him in Guardians of the mm. Galaxy. Um, but yeah, speaking of other ones, uh, Isaiah Mustafa, Brian Patrick Wade, and Jason Momoa all read for Drax. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, also getting the voice right for Rocket. So Bradley Cooper plays him, uh, doing kind of like a New Yorkish. He, d- he doesn't Bronx sound guy. like Bradley Cooper. Yes, I think he does. I can always hear Bradley I can Cooper. Hear her, I can picture Bradley Cooper doing that voice, but yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, but he's not like. It's, yeah. it's not but, how he normally talks. Yeah, they did kind of. Um, I, re- I remember following this intently. Um, trying to like seeing who they were cast. Uh, Shalto Copley, Jim Carrey, and Adam Sandler were kind of thrown around as doing wow. like fun voice. And then they they looked at some voice actors as well. Uh, H. John Benjamin and Billy West. Oh. H. John Benjamin being Archer, Billy West being you know the voice of everyone. He does a lot of voices in Futurama. Um, I kind I'm of glad really H. John dig Benjamin H. John Benjamin it. as Rocket. Um, the one that I most hoped they would cast was. Um, David Tennant, he was he was one of the like oh, really? front runners because uh, in the comics and in cartoons and stuff like that, up until Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie Rocket was traditionally Scottish. Huh. Um, and David Tennant, yellow. Uh, that well, yeah, I love David Tennant. What about um, Mike Myers then? <laughs> what are you doing in my spaceship? <laughs> um, I want my group back, group back, group back. Want my group back, group back, ribs. <laughs> <laughs> um there's another interesting thing as well so this also has john c Riley in it um but it was reported that hugh laurie alan rickman and ken watanabe were all looked at for roles however they were looked at after like john c Riley and ronan the uh, lee paces ronan the accuser were already cast so they were probably in the running for thanos say those names again uh hugh laurie alan rickman and ken watanabe very interesting. That's very interesting because I it almost feels like because they didn't ca- had they cast Josh Brolin by the time he had his cameo in the end of Avengers. Uh, no, there was uh, Sydney. No, um, Damien Damien Poitier, Sydney Poitier's son, huh. played him in that. Because I do think he looks kind of like Josh Brolin already at the end of Avengers. Yeah, and I don't know if any of those other actors do. Those are very interesting. So mm. Hugh Laurie, Ken Watanabe, and who was the other one? Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman is, I mean, but, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, imagine Alan Rickman is Thanos. I can't. I don't think, it's weird saying Josh Brolin was the correct choice because I probably prefer all those actors over Josh Brolin. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I can't see any of them as as Thanos. Mm. Now, I've got a question for you, And if I can't see them as Thanos, who else could? (laughs) I've got a question for you, AJ. Is Groot the most woke character in the MCU? Tell me. Why? Give me your evidence. There's a bit in the film where Rocket says to Groot, get him, referring to Quill, and he goes for Gamora. So Groot, as a species, might be genderless. Maybe he doesn't see gender. And I think that a lot more characters could strive to be like Groot. Wow. Are you t- talking more on like the meta contextual, um, like what we we're talking about before, about the, the, the problem, the systematic problem that Marvel has with representation? 
or are you talking about in the world of the film? Both. Because in the if if you say if if it was like oh they they have a genderless character in Groot, but it would be nice if they didn't cast Macho Man Vin Diesel as as this yeah. genderless character. <laughs> yeah, fucking Vin Diesel. And Vin Diesel like recorded his lines on stilts. <laughs> Why? Like, he, he would get into the into the recording studio and have these like so he'd be ten foot tall and be able to feel what it's like to be Groot. Is Vin Diesel the most um? the the least cool actor to be cast in the most cool things because <laughs> he's just cast an avatar and and like it's like this dude doesn't deserve like he's not he's not like he's the he's he almost gets the same same kind of career as someone like Alan Tudyk you know like that that um yeah. nerd VIP yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like it's fucking Vin Diesel. Like, I don't like Vin Diesel. He's the, the Iron Giant, one of the most like iconic um, nerd culture cartoon movies of all time, is Vin Diesel. Guardians of the Galaxy, Vin Diesel. Avatar's going to Vin Diesel. And it's like, this dude's a jock. This dude's triple X and fast and furious. Stop putting him in my nerdy things. I'm being a gatekeeper. <laughs> yeah, but he, but he is a massive nerd. Like, he loves Dungeons and Dragons and shit. Well, he's also um, kind of creepy in real life. So I don't know if I like <laughs> Vin Diesel. Yeah, just like a Dungeons and Dragons player. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> do you um do you know about the Easter egg? Yeah. Do you want me to try attempt to explain it? Yes. I know. So apparently, there's an Easter egg in Guardians of the Galaxy that no one's seen, right? No one's discovered yeah. yet. Yeah. That's it, really. Um, people have accused James Gunn of it not actually existing, and then like some random fan was like, "It doesn't exist." And he's like, "I'll give you ten thousand dollars if it doesn't exist." And it's like, well, what does that mean? I would have yeah, challenged you if I got James $10, Gunn. You also said you want to pee on children or something. So <laughs> how are we supposed to like <laughs> keep, um, keep you hold you accountable if you can't stick to what you're saying? But yeah, like as recently as like last year, I was seeing like reports that are like someone may have found the Easter egg, some obscure well, it's, like it's like a boring version of Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, I know. but it's like how, how do you know no one's found it as well? Yeah, like it could have been reported. He didn't see the report, and then everyone's just like, "Oh, okay, well, it's not there because he didn't confirm it." That this should be something we start the Easter the Easter egg hunt and be like, "Okay, here's what we've here's the intelligence we've gathered. You need to deny, like, don't tell us what it is, James Gunn, hmm. but is it one of the like? Don't tell us what it is if we haven't guessed it. I guess hmm. um, that's really but interesting. He, he has think- said that if it's not found, he'll reveal it one day. He said it won't be till after Guardians Volume Two. Um, he said that several years ago. Right. Um, so, I mean, so I don't know if we find out. Yeah, exactly. And apparently there's one in the second one as well. Um, ugh. ugh. I know, right? <laughs> so, one thing that's kind of like was confirmed uh, during production for Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but Groot sacrifices himself in this film. He mm-hmm. um, creates a, a ball around the Guardians to take, you know, a, a spaceship crash. Um, to take the full full brunt of it and protect them and he dies but uh, rocket grabs a twig of him puts it into a pot and grows a new Groot out of it that is not a reincarnation of Groot that's Groot's son just mm-hmm. so so that we're clear just want to clear that up um, it's not like Groot did die it sounds like word of God canon to me, Richard. No, it is um, <laughs> heavily like it's in the second one. He, he he there's you know there's no evidence that it's the same character. You know, there's evidence. There's you could argue it. 
I mean, you could. But, but Maybe I we, will, we get to see one. Um, but yeah, anyway, so it's like, um, uh, yeah, he, he has to basically start from scratch. It's not just like, but in the comics, it is break off a twig, grow it. It's the same person. So that's right. hence the confusion, I think. Hmm, okay. Sounds like you just gave me my best smoking gun for that argument I said I wasn't going to have. <laughs> like, in our only other frame of reference for, for this species and this character, it's not this. But because someone said it is this in this version, it is that. Um, I've always had a problem with Groot dying at that point in the I don't film. like that he says we are Groot when he dies because you don't. He, he can't say that. Wow, very controversial. <laughs> yeah, I also I don't I don't like the trope of a character who can't speak English and or like Pokemon does it like people understand Pikachu. Like oh, Ash, yeah. Ash understands Pikachu. It's like, what do you mean you understand him? Yeah, it's it's that's not how language works. It's <laughs> like you don't like you don't say I am Groot and you hear something else. You know, like my my head canon says that it's the in- inclination, like the the. The tone of his of the way he's saying "I am Groot" or the context of it or something like that. But even then, that'd be a hard language to try and understand. Yeah. They. Um. The other thing as well is that in the films they're all wearing Universal translators, so they could mm. be speaking all different languages. And yeah. because Quill knows English, we're hearing it through his voice. I've been thinking about it a lot that the Universal translators seen Captain Marvel, and I'm kind of perturbed by the idea that like we're not seeing the truest form. Then, because we're seeing yeah. their mouths shape these words, and apparently they're not saying that. That kind of like messes with my brain. But anyway, Groot dying. I don't have a problem with Groot dying as a concept, and I, I really like Baby Groot, so I'm glad that it got to that point. But I do think it's a shame they sacrificed um, Groot being part of the Guardians at the end, all holding hands to channel the energy of the um, orb or the the reality stone. Because at the end of the film, um, power stone. the power stone. Um, at the end of the film, uh, to grab it away from Ronan, uh, Star-Lord grabs the reality stone. No, that was it? Power stone. Power stone, sorry. And starts getting, like, destroyed, basically. And then everyone holds, all the other guardians hold his hand so that the power is dispersed evenly throughout them and they're able to survive. And it's it's such a weird, it's so weird to put a unifying thing for, like, what you're really trying to push is your iconic new team and not have one of the like the best member yeah, some yeah. would say as part of that so i've always had i've always had a problem with that because i don't necessarily think it should be reordered either because it's quite an important place where that all happens but i don't know maybe they could have combined them into one thing and maybe groot maybe groot has to sacrifice himself for the power to not be yeah well because you know I mean? we yeah. see someone earlier on grab the power stone as well and they just instantly explode but yeah. uh peter's able to hold on to it a little bit because that hints at his um being part celestial Yes. Which we find out in the sequel. And, yeah. Um, I do want to say one weird thing about this film. I read an article a couple of years ago, 2016, it was about three years ago, actually, um, that was the, the films with the highest body count of all time. So, number 10, this was supposed to, remember this was supposed to 2016. Number 10 is The Avengers 2012 with 1,019 on-screen deaths. Number nine is Braveheart with 1,297. Number eight is The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies um, with 1,417. Seven is The Matrix Revolutions, 1,647. Six is The Two Towers, 1,741. 300, Rise of an Empire comes in at fifth with 2,234. Return of the King in four with 2,798. The Sum of All Fears, 2,002, 2,922. 
And the number two most, the highest body count in any film is uh, Dracula Untold in 2014 with 5,687. I need to see Dracula Untold. (laughs) The highest body count of any film ever is Guardians of the Galaxy 2014 with 83,871 on-screen deaths. Now, I know what you're thinking, but- at the end of knowing the entire planet dies, or in the original Spoilers. Star Wars, Alderaan gets exploded, and The Force Awakens, the fucking, their whole, whatchamacallit. Yeah, multiple planets. Like, get multiple destroyed. planets get destroyed. But no, they rank much lower down. For some reason, Guardians of the Galaxy tallies in it exactly 83,871 on screen deaths. I thought you were going to have this really interesting thing about like, and these are where these deaths happen, but you're actually critiquing the article. It's a stupid, like, <laughs> why is this? How was how Guardians of the Galaxy? How, like, where'd you arrive at that exact number? Yeah. And it's it's such a weird. Is there any. Well, like, there's a scene where they do anything? this. Well, no, I mean, it's just like, yeah, this is, trust us, this is how many people die in Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's like. If you Sounds say, like Word of God canon to me, man. Yeah, not, not, even like, word but, not even Word, word of, God, of Man canon. Um, yeah, because <laughs> James Gunn retweeted the article and was like, so um, I guess my movies are all deadly or something like that. But it's such a weird, like, because I, I get- What not, else did James Gunn tweet? <laughs> I get not including something like um, The Force Awakens where you see like four planets blow up because- Well, they're not on-screen deaths. Yeah, exactly. So why is Guardians of the Galaxy? I get you see these massive pods explode, but there's so many scenes like that in so many movies. And that wasn't 80,000 in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. It's it's a fucking weird number. Uh, Anyway. All right. I just wanted to complain about that. I'm glad you did. Um, And so just before we move on, I do have a very randomly placed uh, bit of trivia. This is- You are so random, dude. (laughs) Seriously. Um, This is our second franchise, which features a film in which Bradley Cooper refers to a knapsack as a purse. (laughs) Is that intentional? Do you think that was a reference to the hangover? (laughs) I don't know, but uh, yeah, so that's- (laughs) <laughs> that's that because in the hangover he yeah. calls uh alan's knapsack a purse and in this he calls um mm. the star lords a purse i have been i have complained a bit about i feel like my my the feeling is that i'm negative towards guardians of the galaxy and i should i do want to just express that i think it's a very good i think it's a very accessible film it might be marvel's most accessible film since iron man yeah and so it's a good it's it's good it's a good film i just i think i just like others more than it yeah sure yeah, uh, yeah it's very much like you could um I, I know a lot of people that aren't into the mcu that are like oh i'd quite like to see guardians of the galaxy yeah all right now it's time to, to we move with us the best one the best <laughs> <laughs> okay. avengers here we are age of ultron although i did forget to mention also the arm loss in guardians of the galaxy grimora cuts off cuts off groot's arms when they meet yeah um, so there's another little fun fact for you. But yes, Age of Ultron, Avengers Age of Ultron even, 2015, mm-hmm. came out, directed by Joss Whedon and AJ. The Weeds. What is this motherfucking film motherfucking about? I'll fucking tell you, motherfucker. All right. <laughs> Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, using the technology harnessed from Loki's staff, Tony Scepter. Stark. Scepter. Sorry. 
Yeah, like <laughs> just the people that work below him. <laughs> he, he's, he brought his entire staff room into like a into a new. You know, he's yeah. like, all right, I'm going to give you um, better working conditions, and I'll be able to harness your power because <laughs> you'll be more motivated. Yeah. Um, so, using the technology harnessed from Loki's scepter, Tony Stark, in an attempt to make a worldwide defense system against any more alien attacks, accidentally makes a super evil artificial intelligence robot named Ultron who wants to eradicate humanity as a means of restoring the Earth or protecting the Earth. Uh, it's vague. Um, the Avengers <laughs> all team up again to stop this from happening. Yep. Yeah, cool. So, what do you reckon this has on Roti Tomats? The old ro- Rotat. Yeah. Um, this will be 70. 75. It's the there fourth lowest. Uh, so where did you rank this? On my original ranking, I ranked it um, 20th out of 21. AJ? So between Thor I- and Thor the Dark World. I tell you what, mate. For once we agree on something, I've ranked it bloody 20th as well. Well, we're about to disagree on something. Oh, okay. Because I've now ranked it 8th out of the 12 I have currently ranked. So Age of Ultron for me is currently before the first Captain America, Thor the Dark World, the Incredible Hulk, and Thor. Interesting. That's that's where I've ranked it. But to be honest, it's probably equal with Captain America. Yeah, okay. Do you know what? I'll switch them around just because I know you like Captain America. Thank you. How do I... I'm I'm switching them around, Richard. I'm doing it right now. I'm putting Captain America one above Avengers Age of Ultron just because it's so... that. That's so arbitrary to me. And, <laughs> and you know, it would mean a lot to me. Wait, uh, where is the... No, so, Letterboxd, uh, ranking by average rating, it is 16th out of 21. So, mm. yeah, it's uh, not not looked upon particularly favorably. Yeah, I think the, the reason I'm not as cold on it as I originally thought I was is because going back into it, it is still a like it is still charged and it is still like a tentpole moment in the mcu you know so i think for for that alone it was entertaining enough for me to want to rank it higher than i had originally placed it like i can say i objectively enjoyed it more than the two thor films and incredible incredible hulk now but not as much as captain america the first avenger of which it is now equal with Uh, you'll just change it every day so that, yeah. they're, that they're more or less equal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this it's like, is a- you, It's like Neptune and Pluto. <laughs> they, sometimes they change positions. Yeah, nice. They, um, yeah, this was the first time I kind of remember being disappointed. Uh, yeah, I, went, I agree. I, I went yeah. to the um, to the Minute premiere and I remember afterwards just kind of being like, oh, I probably would have just preferred being well-rested. <laughs> um because i i had an early morning the next day it was like my fir- it was i was starting a new job um well i was only a couple months into a new job and it was like my first like big shoot and i had to be up early and you know i wasn't going to not go to the midnight premiere of the new avengers film um but then yeah it's kind of just like eh, i didn't love it and this was still and I'm still at this point where I refuse to admit that I don't like any of these films, <laughs> you know, like, like I kind of refuse to see their flaws a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, I, I was kind of, cause I remember thinking there was no way this could be bad, you know, um, I had everything going for it. I, I really liked and, the, that original trailer that dropped for it. Yeah. And I remember it like leaked online. It incorporated the Pinocchio song. Yeah. 
into it, which is one of the first examples of a slowed down, yeah, or at least a, a juxtaposing creepy, like innocent song in a creepy setting. I thought that was awesome, and I thought um, the look of Ultron and his voice and everything in that trailer was really cool. Yeah, it, and but that that was funny as well. That trailer was meant to. They were like, oh, it's going to premiere after during the last outbreak of. Um, agents of shield one night and then it leaked online in like low quality so like two hours later marvel was like here it is in high quality and they were like damn hydra <laughs> they played hydra for the leak so that was that was quite cool that's cool so yeah you say like james spader's voice and his look uh, as james spader yeah, um did i say james ultron. spader or did i say ultron i feel like i said james spader twice you said james spader twice okay yeah you like ultron's voice and look and it's james spader yeah. um and he was apparently whedon's only choice um and okay. he was just supposed to do the voice but then he was like no nah, i want to do the physicality so he did motion capture as well the andy circus did he did <laughs> um this yeah, film okay. also features andy circus and he, so, he helped him out he helped out the 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 peeps yeah so in terms of like a follow-up to the first avengers movie it doesn't really hold a candle i don't like, it just got me on board with a lot of the characters outside of Iron Man and then introduces, like, Scarlet Witch and, and Vision. Both of them I'm I'm whatever on, um, mm. at least and Quicksilver. Seen Can't forget Quicksilver, mate. Yeah, well, he dies in this film, so. Spoilers. Um, what, is, what is wrong with this movie? Have we okay. told it? Have we explained enough of what it's about? I think we have. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so this film is... A very messy. It's and Joss Whedon left the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He he was set to direct like Infinity War, or I, I don't know if he was like officially signed on, but it was like you know he he he's doing it kind of thing. Um, yeah. and then he got so burnt out, he retired from all social media. Um, I don't know if he's directed a film since. He's been in talks for a couple. Oh, he he did the the latter half of um production for Justice League. Mm. But um, I don't Which, think he's directed it. What a what a jump! <laughs> Avengers yeah. two to the half of Justice League. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's very messy. A lot of it just exists to like set things up. It feels like the midway point, and between a lot this of this is things, the Iron Man two of Phase two. Yeah, yeah, hard out. So, uh, like, it, it, Joss Whedon said, like, it was impo- it's impossible to balance that many characters kind of thing, which is one of the things I think Infinity War, Infinity War does really well is balances all of those characters. And there's even more, and they're way more different, like, tones and worlds mm. to combine. I don't know if I would agree that Infinity War balances characters very well. But okay, we'll, well, talk about that we can talk week. about that when we get to that. Because when, I, when I remind I, myself of the film. Pre- uh, pre d- disagree with you uh, but, but he did that with the avengers how many more yeah, characters exactly. are in avengers age of ultra two i guess I don't two know. three yeah, yeah. It, it, it's just there's a lot of like half-baked ideas as well like you have um what, what do they need then they need they need to work on someone and so they're like oh call helen cho and it's like oh cool, yeah get her in and it's like, we're supposed to know who this is. Right. And then we've never heard of her before. We never hear of her again. But she's like quite an important character in this film. Yeah. It's it's such a strange, like, half-baked idea. Um, well, do we want to talk about how this, like, um, I don't want to steal, steal your line, but you, you message yeah, me. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, like, to me, it kind of feels like Joss Whedon didn't even watch Phase 2. Yeah, and I remember reading a quote after Iron Man 3 came out where Joss Whedon was like, now what am I going to do with Avengers 2? Um, 
and I guess the answer was pretend Iron Man 3 didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but it, I think what gutted me about this movie being bad, and Col- so Colt Popsha extends back to before Age of Ultron came out, right, as a, as a YouTube yeah. channel and stuff. And if you can go and go and watch one of our very early videos, um, we pull out this quote from Joss Whedon talking about Avengers Age of Ultron before it had come out. Um, and that quote, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like, in terms of what to do with a sequel, you don't go bigger, you go deeper, you want to make these characters um bleed you want to dig into them and when i say dig i mean with a scalpel basically was something like that and the idea was like against um the idea that a sequel needs to match in scale something like the chitari invasion and instead it should be a deeper story which i think is a wonderful philosophy for developing a sequel and i can definitely see in something like ultron being a smaller villain i guess not smaller than loki but like yeah you know, more contained. I can definitely see remnants of that. And you get something like there's a huge scene in this where they learn about Hawkeye's family and he lives on a farm in the middle of nowhere. And I can see all that being deeper. I can see a lot of this being deeper. Uh, But yeah, he blatantly ignores the end of Iron Man 3. Yeah. Um, But I do think there are remnants of what could have been not ignoring Iron Man 3 and a missed opportunity, if you will, that I'll go into now from Iron Man 3. So if Iron Man 3 ends with him being like, I'm giving up because I'd rather be with Pepper and I'd rather, um, you know, like, so, so the PTSD that, that Tony suffers in Iron Man 3 seemingly is cured or he gets over it or he moves on by retiring as Iron Man. That's kind of the, the, answer the solution to the character yeah. arc is like he he be, goes beyond needing to be iron man to feel you know to feel responsibility for the rest of the world and i think there was an opportunity if you wanted to give tony stark more screen time in age of ultron which maybe you don't because he does he's on, he is on screen for 45 minutes and 34 seconds there you go that's a weird <laughs> thing to immediately pull out but um, well done um i do think that there could have been some setup, and it you know maybe it happened and we just didn't see it. Where Tony Stark, after seeing the everything that happens after Iron Man three, and I guess um, reeling, still reeling from um, the events of the Avengers or whatever, is like I don't want to be Iron Man anymore, but I do want to keep the world safe, and that with great power comes great responsibility. It is my purpose it is my responsibility to keep the world safe and so if creating ultron was not only an attempt to um make a because he talks about a having a having a shield around the whole world but it's also an attempt to make himself as iron man not needed but then that goes wrong because ultron becomes evil and iron man he has to become iron man again that's a very to me, that's a very intriguing way of bringing back a character you'd just written out. Yeah. Like, yeah. even when I wasn't as as aware or into the MCU as I am now, I remember Age of Ultron starting and Iron Man's just there and me being like, didn't didn't he retire at the end of Iron Man 3? And they just don't really explain. I think that's a real shame. Yeah, because one of the big problems that I, I was thinking are going into 
Age of Ultron was like, how are they going to get the team back, team back together? Because yeah. Tony's retired, um, Shield's down, and yeah. uh, like Captain, they, they didn't call Captain call them during that. Um, Thor didn't call them during the attack on London. But it's like those things, you know, happened quite fast. Understandable. What is it? That, what's going to be the event that gets them back together? Why are they going to be convinced yeah. to get back together? And it's just the movie starts, Nothing. and they're just getting getting Loki's scepter, and yeah. They apparently put the whole team together to do it. And it's like he didn't even fucking watch the end of event. Like their first event just ends with them going their separate ways, but kind of with the implication that they will come back mm. together if need be. And yeah, so Iron Man 3 completely ignores the ending of it. Um, there's a, a quick reference. You see Sam at the start of it uh, and Sam Falcon. And it's like... um. You know, he, uh, J- Joss Whedon was told, oh, we've introduced a new character. And he's like, ah, sweet, I won't worry about it. And then, you know, Anthony Mackie's like a charisma machine and <laughs> is, is, is is missing from this film, I think. And yeah. then, so they just chucked it a quick line where it's like, oh, yeah, doing our missing persons case. But, you know, because he's looking for Bucky. But they don't even mention Bucky by name because Joss Whedon just to- got told, oh, I need to write him out of the movie somehow. But couldn't be bothered watching the film to find out who he was talking about. The Guardians yeah. aren't in it at all. Thor comes back to Earth at the end of, in the post credit scene of The Dark World and makes out with Jane, who's not mentioned at all in this film. And, and never seen again in the MCU. Yeah. And <laughs> not, one of not, the things I, she has mentioned, to Ragnarok to be fair oh, okay. but um, one of the things I really liked in the first Avengers is that there's a quick scene of Thor checking up on Jane like Coulson's showing uh, Thor like oh yeah here she is this is what she's doing because he's only at, on Earth to stop Loki and doesn't have time to you know stop in to see his girlfriend and there's just so many things like that missing you know with, with these little connecting threads and so many of them could just be a line of dialogue yeah, and they he just decided not to, and that's the yeah that's the crux of what's wrong with this film, I guess. Like, there's I guess the other thing people point to with what's wrong with it is Ultron being kind of a lame, lame villain. And I'm of two minds about this because I like Ultron's look. As I say, I like his I like his look. I think James Spader gives a really cool performance as mm. him. It's very menacing, um, but at the same time. And recently I made a video about um, sympathetic characters. Um, It's it's about Patty Jenkins and sympathetic characters. And in it, I'm talking about the Marvel's like villain problem. And I referred to Ultron's plan as the pumpkin spice latte of, you know, AI, evil (laughs) AI villains, because it's the most generic. The only way to save humanity is to destroy it kind of thing, which is like we saw that in iRobot, man. What are we doing? Yeah. And so it, I, I like the performance, but I don't like the character. Yeah, <laughs> I 100%. Guess. And w- one of my biggest issues coming out of Age of Ultron is that every character is the funny one in this one. Every character is mm. quippy and um, and it's it's a very Whedon thing. Yeah. Um, but like every single character has their little like smart aleck lines that normally would only get from... Um, from Tony, and then by the time, and then it keeps on going further and further. By the time we get to like something like Ragnarok or even Infinity War, Thor's like the comic relief, the character who's like takes himself super seriously is now like the funny one, right? So, you don't like the ramifications of 
Well, Regionism. just just the fact that like this is again when you're complaining about the MCU, this is what you're complaining about yeah. is that, and it started with this film. This is again, it's super messy. It only exists to serve yeah. the wider universe. Um, doesn't take itself seriously enough, and you know mm. the film shouldn't take themselves too seriously, but it goes too far in the other direction. I think. Yeah, um, yeah and- you know what? I'm I'm comfortable now with it sitting behind Captain America. Yeah, <laughs> Captain America is if Captain America is the minimum. then then this is below the minimum yeah and it's um and like that was another big problem with ultron is that he's he's a bit he's a bit goofy you know he forgets words like children and it's like i don't kind of like ultron's goofiness though yeah it's okay but and one of the issues was that we were we were promised something else he is he is half stark you know he yeah he is he is partly influenced by tony stark and but we were promised something else in the trailer it's like i get you know expectations and stuff like that but still i when every character in the film is cracking jokes i'd like the villain to take himself seriously hmm. i have a fun piece of trivia about this film i would love to hear it andy circus's character gets his arm cut off uh-huh. as reference does. to the empire strikes back very cool very good uh do you want to know another fun piece of trivia what this is the only movie in the mcu where thor appears but loki doesn't oh true that's why it's bad um do you you, what do you think of the bruce banner black widow love story uh hate it you hate it uh yeah totally it's um i think it facilitates an interesting exploration of both those characters yeah kind of but it's also like like you've got this badass female character it's like actually do you know what would be even better if she only existed to be to be in a love story mm. um and then also uh have her whole like this character's exterior breakdown because she can't give birth which is funny because um Scarlett Johansson was pregnant while filming that scene about how she can't give birth <laughs> oh that was me laugh- sorry I was adding to the joke not making fun of you <laughs> Really feels like you made fun of me there. Yeah, I know um, it doesn't yeah, feel I don't like know. that. It's just like yeah, taking. It's funny because the infertile character was actually pregnant. <laughs> it's such a dark thing to find funny. <laughs> yeah. I think that's where my angle was coming. We're two and a half hours in. My my jokes aren't clear enough. At this stage. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I don't know, reducing um, Nat to that is like yeah, it feels a little bit dishonest and. Uh, Joss Whedon doing the classic uh, grabbing someone that someone falls and they land on their breasts and he used the exact same joke in the just in Justice League. Oh yeah, um, with where Flash does it and then quickly zips away. To be um, fair, that happens all the time. Like I'm constantly falling on people's breasts. Also, the the whole conversation they have about how uh, banners like. I'm I'm literally turned into a green rage monster and don't have control over who I murder. And um, Black Widow's like, yeah, I can't have babies. Like we're both the same. Don't try understand the female experience, I'm Richard. Not, I, like, you I know, <laughs> I know, I know. But it's like the uh, it doesn't really feel the same. Like you're <laughs> not like one of, of course them it's not the same. Is a literal monster, and she's like, yeah, I'm a monster too because I'm infertile. But and that's like, also kind of like a what if you're a a um a woman watching the Avengers Age of Ultron and you can't have babies and it's this real sad tragic thing in your life and then one of the characters refers to her infertility as a, as something that makes her a monster. <laughs> yeah. I think that's quite quite a dark kind yeah. of Yeah. Because you know like that. Whedon's like famously writes amazing female characters and it's like 
you know, he, he had this badass female character and now she's a love interest. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that, I was just pointed that. Plus, it also just comes out of nowhere. Um, again, it's like, a, oh, you have a little bit of flirtation between Cap and Natasha. Actually, that's kind of one of the things that is referenced in the film because um, Cap sees Banner and uh, Black Widow flirting and he's like, hey, I've seen her flirt up close. Like, this is more. And he's like, and Banner's like, ha yeah. Wait, what do, you, what do you mean up close? Um, yeah. And th- that is the best. That, that and one other scene are the two best scenes of the film. The the house party scene, we were just seeing them chill out together. Yeah. That's such a great scene. I love That's that. That's the best scene of the film. And yeah. It's like, that. And, and I am kind of disappointed that I don't think we're ever going to see that again. Like, we've just got, yeah. in the middle of this kind of, like, less than good movie, we've got the Avengers kind of letting their hair down and just having fun with each other. There's not going to be any time for that in Endgame, I'm presuming. There wasn't really any no. time for it. That's why it's three game. hours. Yeah, because <laughs> they're just chilling out for half the time. But um, It turns into game night for a bit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the whole thing with they're all trying to lift um, Thor's hammer, but only the worthy can, can wield yeah. it. And a, a great concept. nudges it a yeah. little bit. And, it, and that's great. That's a great dynamic. And then uh, later on, when Vision is created, he lifts it no problem. And it's, it's such a great payoff to that joke and also immediately gets you on board with Vision as a character. Hmm. Do you remember, um, like, two years ago, we were, uh, we were when I was living. We we're both living in Auckland, and I was at work. I remember, and I think uh, maybe like a trailer for Infinity War had just come out, or something like that. Like Avengers was very much, you know, a big part of the public consciousness, or something like that. And I remember messaging you and being like, "I've never really bought into Vision being created. Like, I think it's, I think it's weird that Tony Stark's AI voice becomes." a main character and like that they were able to make a human esque body. Do you remember me talking to you about that? Uh, no, you, you had no time for it. You were like, fuck off. It's perfect. Um, and, <laughs> and I was like, I can't really explain what I'm meaning here, but again, and recontextualized with understanding that the, um, the mind stone, which is inside the scepter is what creates that humanity for both vision and, um, uh, Ultron. Ultron. I think that actually solves my problem because oh, cool. I think I think what I was coming. I'm glad from this was, argument I don't remember is um, <laughs> yeah. Come to no, a close. my 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 point was like I don't buy that humans could create a technology that's powerful enough to to make to give an AI butler a human form. But knowing that it's actually right. magical or whatever, I think I'm a bit more inclined to get behind the idea now interesting well like uh let's talk about the infinity stones because um this film does very heavily tease infinity war you have uh thor golf and a little side mission uh where he goes to the 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 pool of vision or whatever and um he sees a vision of ragnarok which is a very different vision from what we got um but it has the six infinity stones he learns about the infinity stones he's like i'm off to go find them so where were they at the time so he's i'm going to scour the universe for all of the infinity stones so reality is currently he knew about that one that was in thor the dark world so we can take that one off the mind stone sorry where is reality reality um the ether and they gave it to the collector in the post-credit scene of Thor the Dark World, but he knew about the, that one kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the Mind Stone, again, he knows about. 
Um, soul is yeah, soul's the pretty mi- well and the hidden. The mind stone was in the scepter. In the scepter, and yeah, now and now it's in, in vision's forehead. Head. Yeah, the soul stone was in Nevada Lear, and that's pretty well hidden. So, um, the time Where? stone. Sorry, Nevada Lear. Where's that? Um, the is it Nevada Lear? Um, it's where it is in um an in Infinity War with with Red Skull. Oh, so the the soul stone was in the Tesseract. No, that's the space stone. So how did so is the soul stone in? So you need to explain this to me. So it's in Captain America. The Soul Stone is the one that you have to sac- that he sacrifices Gamora in Infinity War to get. Yeah, yeah. So that's okay. that's that's miles away. So fair enough. Oh, so we we haven't seen it yet. In yeah, the- we we don't see that one yet. The the Time Stone is just on Earth. Uh, yeah. The Power Stone uh, is with the is near to the Reality Stone, and then the Space Stone was there the whole fucking time, and it's like. I'm off to scour the universe to find all six. It's like three of them are in your backyard. Like yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if because the soul stone, no one found it for eight. No one knew where it was. It's like it's probably in Thor's pocket. It's probably with his car keys because he's yeah. so bad at fucking knowing where they are. So the the space stone is on the tesseract. Yes, and the tesseract is currently on Asgard. Yes, and the um, what go back go back the, down the list. power stone is with the Nova Corps. Because the Guardians gave it to them at the end. Yeah, and that's from the orb from Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Time Stone is uh, Doctor Strange is yet to be given it, but it's it's on Earth. Okay, but we don't know that at this point in the story. Yeah, it's in the Eye of Agamotto. Uh, Soul Stone, yes, yeah, is, is hidden. You have to sacrifice something. Mind Stone's in Vision's forehead. Reality is with the Collector. There you go. Cool. That's really helpful for me because, uh, as I said, as I said already, like going into these movies. Uh, or at least having only seen them once leading into Infinity War, I didn't even remember the the story thread of the Infinity Stones throughout the, the previous movies. So Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, All right, enough. cool. Um, so Joss Whedon, for as much as he did with this film, he wanted to do even more. Uh, he wanted the pool of light scene to be long. He wanted that whole thread to be longer, and they shot more of it, and the studio was like, yeah, no, nah, cool, add that in, but uh, you have to get rid of the stuff at Hawkeye's farm. And then he was like, oh, "I'm gonna keep that stuff." <laughs> so that's why that's kind of half baked that storyline. And then he was like, "No, the, the scene between Black Widow and Bruce Banner is imperative. It needs to be <laughs> there at the farm." Um, he he wanted to include Spider Man and Captain Marvel in the film, uh, but they hadn't cast an actress yet, so they they would have taken a while to to get confirmed. And Spider the Sony deal wasn't fully finalized, kind of thing. I thought film. the Sony deal wasn't finalized till ages after. No, well, Age two films Ultron. later, like a year later is Civil uh, War true, yeah. um, that he's in. And it was announced, um, a lot of people thought Spider-Man would show up in Age of Ultron or at least in a post credit scene because it was like announced end of 2014, right? I believe. And then he first appears start of 2016. Um, Matt, as much as I like the first Avengers movie, Joss Whedon just sounds like an idiot dealing with the, yeah. the second one. Like, why do you want to put more, like, huge characters in your film that doesn't need all the ones they've got already? Like, you had to invent something for Black Widow and Bruce Banner to be relevant. Well, even uh, Bruce, Hulk, Hulk has a good good moment. I think that whole thing was just created so that you can get Hulk off-world. Yeah, but you know what's actually interesting? is that So he ends up not off-world. He goes on the ship and disappears, um, and they deliberately kept it on Earth because they didn't want people to falsely think they were doing Planet Hulk. And then the next time we see Hulk, he's it's in the middle of Planet Hulk. Yeah. Appar- apparently Ragnarok isn't as Planet Hulky as people wanted it to be, though. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but it's, you know, borrows from it. Mm. But, um, yeah, so, so much that he wanted Spider-Man and Captain Marvel to be in the film that when Scarlet Witch flies in at the end, um, when they have, like, the new Avengers, uh, the plates, you know, you shoot plates for a, a CGI scenes where you like a blank version of, of what you yeah. did and then you shoot the actors and green screen it, whatever. Uh, the plates for that sh- scene were actually shot for a Captain Marvel cameo. Wow. And then they were just reused. Wow. So it's interesting, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad like we didn't get Captain Marvel just brought in like that because it would have just been like, oh, well, like, here's another character that we have to yeah. deal with now. Um, another couple of little fun things about this film. Uh, it's the first film, MCU film with no Oscar winners in it, but it uh, has got six nominees. There you go. Um, what else? Oh, yeah. So we I talked a little bit in the last episode about Joss Whedon's uh, sneaking a dirty joke in there uh, mm. when he talks about um, Scarlet Witch being, no, uh, Black Widow, Scarlet Johansson being a mewling quim, which has a very R-rated, uh, you know, modern translation. In this one, uh, when they're talking, when they're all trying to lift the hammer, um, he says, Tony says something about um, that as ruler of Asgard, he'll be reinstating Prima Nocta. Which is uh, the the law of the land, I guess, that a lord can claim the first night of a marriage to have sexual relations with the bride. So it's basically a king saying, um, when you get married, I get the first sex with your bride, whether you like it or not, whether she likes it or not. So um, that's a pretty dark joke from Tony Stark saying that he's um, got to rape everyone of the land's wives. Um, I think it's coming from a more... Um, yeah, it's a cuck. more light-hearted place. He's being a cuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is very- um, Well, he's not being a cuck, he's being a bull. He's trying to cuck every man in the, in the land. Is that the- Right. Yep. Yeah, the cuck is the victim, or the, you know, the- Yeah. Yeah. As a cuck, I'm well aware of. <laughs> and as a bull. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, also, apparently, uh, Abomination from Hulk was in here at one point. Where would he have been? Who knows? He Ooh, just loves chucking shit in anywhere they. That's they the fit most or intriguing not. one, though, because of how um, put on the back foot Incredible Hulk is with the rest of the MCU. Yeah, well, they that's could have really just brought back, um, uh, you know, like the, the fight at the start could have had Abomination in it, right? Like he could have just been working for Baron von Strucker, the most cartoonish villain to be in <laughs> this yeah. comic book series. Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, well, hey, if this, um. If, if Phase 2 made kind of like sense in terms of how it wanted to balance its grandiose, surely that would be the end of Phase 2, right? Surely there wouldn't be an, another film. <laughs> but they did. Uh, so we got Ant-Man 2015, directed by Peyton Reed. Now, it might seem very strange to have this film after Age of Ultron, but I think it makes a lot of sense to have Civil War be the start of Phase 3, you know? Yes. Like, it's more about making Civil War start Phase 3 than having Ant-Man end Phase 2. Yes, I guess the perfect one, the perfect way to do it would have had Ant-Man earlier. Yeah. But then it, it would make no sense for him not to be in Age you put of it, You put Ant-Man before Guardians of the Galaxy, mm. and... Ah, uh, whatever. Who gives a shit? Who yeah. gives a shit? Don't worry. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so it's true to have Peyton Reed. Uh, what do you reckon this has on Rotten Tomatoes? 70. 92. That's real high. It's uh, the 13th highest. Wow. <laughs> so it's it's still ranked pretty, um, yeah. In my original ranking, I've ranked it 17th out of 20, 21. 
Um, and in my new ranking, I've ranked it seven out of 12. So it is behind Avengers, Iron Man, Iron Man 3, Captain America Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Iron Man 2, and it is in front of Captain America the First Avenger, Avengers Age of Ultron, Thor the Dark World, The Incredible Hulk, and Thor. Cool. Um, so interestingly, yeah, uh, Rotten Tomatoes the ranks this 13th. Uh, if you sort letterboxed by, um, you know, rating, uh, it's 13th, and I put it 13th. Well, you're just a bloody bundle of um, idiosyncrasies, aren't you? <laughs> I am. Uh, so, what is Ant-Man about? Oh, yeah, I've written this down. All right, uh, Scott Lang, I've, this is the one I edited the most outside of Iron Man 3 because Wikipedia didn't do enough. Scott Lang is a recent ex-con with a heart of gold, wanting to get his life back on track and be a bigger part of his daughter's life. Lang winds up getting recruited by Hank Pym, an old washed-up scientist who created and operated a weaponized shrinking suit during the war. I don't remember what war. The war. <laughs> um... Lang dons the suit and becomes Ant-Man, and he and his team plot a heist with worldwide ramifications. That part is from Wikipedia. Nice. Uh, very cool. And who's the villain in it? The villain is um, Yellow Jacket. Correct. Um, played by Sean Evans from Hot Ones. Yeah. Or a, a buff version of Sean Evans yeah. from Hot Ones. Corey Stoll from House of Cards. Right. Um, so, this has a very famous piece of behind-the-scenes trivia uh, which I don't know how fucking important it is for us to dwell on. Uh, Ed Wright was attached to direct this from 2003. He oh pitched God, this to this Marvel. Oh, God, this is such a big talking point. <laughs> I, I know. It's like we're so far into it. It's like, here's the big thing you have to talk oh. about when you talk about Ant-Man. Uh, so Ed Wright was attached since 2003. That's when he proposed the film to Marvel. Uh, he worked on it for a long time, wanted it to be standalone. Uh, his only statement about leaving marvel getting you know mutual kind of leaving from marvel uh was he said i wanted to make a marvel film but marvel didn't want to make an Edgar Wright film uh he has said when he was promoting baby driver he said he never watched the finished film he said that would be like me asking you do you want to watch me have sex with your ex-girlfriend and so yeah he hasn't seen it pretty sad and i yeah. do think it is it's oh, fuck i hate you know what i hate doing i hate saying takes hot takes on this podcast that just what every fucking person says yeah but my hot you know take what? i fucking hate edgar wright peyton reads a better director <laughs> i i think yeah and man would have been better if edgar wright directed it. yeah no shit yeah of course it would have been yeah of course um i think uh peyton reed had an unenviable task of yeah. taking this film on no one wanted to do it he said uh, he's been attached or well, not attached in talks for a few projects in Marvel. He's a massive Marvel fan. He's the one who uh, he pitched doing Fantastic Four in the 60s. Um, and mm. now everyone's like, when they do Fantastic They should do Fantastic Four in the 60s. I know, but that, 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 you've read that idea because Peyton Reed pitched it. Um, kind of <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, Peyton Reed's a great director. <laughs> he's better than Nick Wright, that's for sure. He, d- he did the Back to the Future animated series, which we covered true. on an episode of our Patreon show. So go check that <laughs> that's out. true. www.patreon.com slash cultpopshire. He also directed Bring It On. I am getting the mental equivalent of trench foot doing this podcast for this long. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Where was I going with that? Anyway, um, so, yeah. I mean, like, I, I think he did a perfectly fine job. I really like this film. I, I think it's fun. Paul Rudd is fantastic, as he, is, as he always is. Happy 50th birthday for the other week, Paul. You bloody handsome man. You look fantastic. 
Uh, of course, he wasn't the only person in running for the role because, of Tell course, he is. Tell me the other people. Adrian Brody, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Ewan McGregor were in the running for Scott Lang. Nah, um, it don't originally like any featured of them. Hank Pym as Ant- like the main Ant Man. Uh, so, so say that again. Hank uh, Hank Pym was the original like, uh, and the original versions of the script was. It focuses on him because he's the Ant-Man everyone knows. He created Ultron, actually, in the comics. Um, but he beats his girlfriend, so he was sidelined. Um, he beats his girlfriend? Yeah, it's Hank Pym in the comics beats his girlfriend. Just don't include that in the movie. Yeah, I mean, you could. <laughs> I actually like that Hank Pym... Um, I, I, I like... Because, you, you know, you get the, you get stuck in that, that thought process of, like, it's weird that Iron Man was the first superhero and then they all... You know, that broke the seal and then a whole bunch more came out. I do like things like Captain America, First Avenger, and Captain Marvel, and even Hank Pym's role in Ant-Man, where it's like, no, superheroes have existed for a wee while. This is just the place we're starting our story. Yeah, yeah. So I do like that. That mm. it, It's funny, because you know. we do see a flashback. We've got a, a di- it's, it's like three different ways of doing something. So we've got a digitally de-aged Michael Douglas. And the, he actually looks quite good, I thought. Like, because it's quite quick. And yeah, mm. it, that was kind of the first ones where it's like, oh, that actually looks pretty decent. Um, but over the case of 40 or so years since... Um, Captain America, the first Avenger. Uh, Dominic Cooper has turned into John Slattery. Oh, it's um, the worst car. It's, and, they look so different. And Hayley Atwell has turned into Hayley Atwell, but with some grey in her hair and oh. some wrinkles around her eyes. She looks so bad. She doesn't look... <laughs> oh, it's so weird, man. It's so weird. Because, like... And we also see Hayley Atwell. We see Peggy Carter in The Winter Soldier as an old lady. Hmm. And it's like, that's... 30 years after the scene in Ant-Man. Mm. <laughs> she turned, she changed so much in 30 years. Yeah. Um, and there's also the other guy in that room who is also de-aged. And I just, I can't get behind de-aging. We'll probably talk about this more with the next phase. I think de-aging looks terrible and I don't think it looks any better here. Sweet. Uh... You've hurt my feelings, AJ, and I'm not <laughs> What else? Uh, can you name the arm loss in this film? No. Can you? Uh, yep. When Yellow Jacket is at the end shrinking, uh, different parts of his body are shrinking uncontrollably, his arm shrinks. Um, That's good. Of his body and, you know, destroys his arm. You, who did you call the worst? You called Malekith the worst villain in yes. the MCU. I think Yellow Jacket is just inches in as the second worst one. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> mean, least- I, that still makes my statement correct. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> putting it next to it because I'm saying, like, this is, uh, he's so boring he's a bald white dude oh my god at least cast a bald person of color like you know at least do something to make this character not the most like generic and like poorly thought out looking person i just he's so boring yellow Mm. jacket as a concept is cool though and i guess that's why i think he beats malekith is because he's more vaguely interesting but he is he's just evil ant-man yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the oh the villain with the same powers. Yeah, um, yeah. This is it's without focusing on the eager right thing. There's not a lot to say about that man. What I will say about and can this be the last thing we say about it? Well, um, we're, we're talking about this for like a third of the time we've talked about every other film. But it's Ant Man. It's the small one. Hey, very nice. 
There you go. Let's move on. Um, I should like this film more than I do. I think Ant-Man's power, the shrinking stuff, I think that is my favourite concept in the MCU, like my favourite power that any of the superheroes have. I think it's super interesting. I think there's a lot of places to go with that, but there's just something about this film that makes it boring and generic to me now. When I first saw it, I was like, yeah, this is my favourite MCU property under iron man and the avengers and now i'm like nah not anymore yeah i don't know i mean ant-man and the wasp kind of you know uh, sullied that a little bit as well but um mm. yeah I, I there is a lot i really like about ant-man um yeah. and I, I i like the way it ties into the greater universe i love that hank pym hates tony stark or how he hates the Starks. yeah i love that yeah um and that he what else oh yeah that we see falcon in it as well um, that he's in this more than he's in the last Avengers film. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, look, a little bit of a spoiler. I will be talking about Ant-Man in one of our further segments after what are we doing next? All right. Well, here we are in the intermission. Um, <laughs> so we asked you guys on uh, Facebook and Instagram just to forms of social media there which uh what your favorite moments from phase two of the marvel cinematic universe are now we got scores of replies uh, i'll only be able to read a few here um but we got hundreds and hundreds of replies so uh <laughs> let's look on instagram first we got my vincent okay. academia said hawkeye's speech to scarlet witch is a moment that doesn't get enough credit it's a real heroic moment where he acknowledges that he is the odd one of the team but still he feels he has a responsibility to go out there and do his job. It's a real awakening for Wanda coming from a very unlikely source. Really redeems Clint from him being brainwashed for the first Avengers movie. It's a good answer. Mm. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, I think I did want to talk about this, but I forgot it in the, in the like throes of all the other stuff we were talking about. In the throes but of what passion. I, I think in, yeah, yeah. Well, I think something else that I quite like about the Avengers is how um, this is the first Avengers film, but it's related to what um, my Vincent Academia has said, um, which is that it's cool that if you actually pay attention to the story, Black Widow and Hawkeye aren't like recruited Avengers because they're obviously the least powered characters mm. and i think it'd be easy to be like oh why are they on the team they're just normal people with like slightly heightened skill levels and very specific skills but it's actually that they're more employees of shield that in the first avengers anyway just get like wind up roped mm. into the battle of new york you know and so it's like, less about yeah. here we go again uh and next you've been blunderstruck with this comment from Blunderstruck. Um, the soundtrack of Guardians of the Galaxy and the various moments that it played throughout the film. Yeah, I mean, it sort of, it, it, I don't know, invented a, like a genre of film almost where that's like everyone's trying to do now. We talked about it a little bit. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's so like everyone wants to imitate this now, but there's something about the way it's used in Guardians of the Galaxy that really works and the sequel as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so heading over to uh, The Face the face 
Um, Scott Curry said, Winter Soldier, after Cap broadcasts his speech, telling S.H.I.E.L.D. that Hydra has infiltrated their ranks, I love the sequence of scenes where Captain's Orders becomes a sort of impromptu rallying call for all the loyal agents. Yeah, that's an awesome comment. Um, I, I really like that as well. Yeah. Yeah, how the guy refuses to do it. He's like, sorry, Captain's I put my I put myself in those shoes. I was like, I'm, I'm the guy who doesn't want to do the thing but I'm so scared of being killed that I'd probably do it <laughs> in real life. <laughs> I'd be too scared of being, getting shot yeah. by the, the, the Hydra dude. <laughs> uh, Joel Tempero um, has posted a GIF uh, comment of the moment where Vision hands Thor his mm-hmm. hammer, uh, which is a fantastic moment. I love yep. that moment. And I remember that being my favourite moment in Age of Ultron specifically. When I saw that in cinema, I was like, Pwah. Nice, nice. Um... So Ned Gilmore writes, can I vote for the entire Nowhere sequence in Guardians of the Galaxy? Because that whole bit is pretty much movie perfection for me. No, you can't, Ned. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so two people here, Clayton Haku and Tim Overton also have also said this. Uh, the before we begin, does anyone want to get out mm. moment in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the elevator fight scene. Yeah, I'm calling That's the most iconic part of, of phase two, I reckon. That's the like, if you had to pick one moment from each phase that defined the phase i reckon that's phase two's moment Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. oh yeah that and maybe something from guardians of the galaxy as well because phase two being when it really yeah yeah. you know expanded the universe yeah uh liam uh mcguran says the final fight scene in ant-man its inventiveness and smaller scale was the perfect breather from the last couple of films that ended in formulaic and world-destroying climaxes 100 percent agree this was my favorite part about ant-man as well agreed um that yeah it's uh not every film has to have world-ending stakes and i think this this is like again uh in ant-man and the wasp they kind of decided they did that again because both uh, Ant-Man films kind of came out as like a little breather after one of the big event films yeah. uh, which is a nice little place it, it, to, to slot it would have been in. cool if Ant-Man and the Wasp um, replicated the ending of the first Ant-Man but but he's giant Ant-Man and so it's like a real train <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so that's all uh, we've got here mm-hmm. uh, if you're listening at home bloody what are your favourite uh, MCU phase 2 moments and why didn't you comment them yep. interestingly no one said anything from Thor The Dark World mm. or Iron Man 3. Mm. But Iron Man 3... Interesting. ...is one that I can vouch for, so it's all good. <laughs> okay. We're going to be talking about titles on this podcast. Okay. So, main things I want to talk about, obviously... Let's go back to Ant-Man. What do you think of it as a title? I surely we don't need to. This is well, the, okay, the, the main format. ones I want to talk about: uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron. So the comic book that there is, uh, uh, the comic book named Age of Ultron, isn't about. Isn't it's not an adaptation of that at all. Um, also, the Age of Ultron is about two, maybe three days. Um, yeah, I think I think the Age of Ultron is the threat, is the looming threat they're yeah, trying yeah, to yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah, I get that, um, but. Apparently they tried a few different like of Ultrons, but age worked best, and they just said, "Oh, you know, people will forgive us do, for it." Do you being. have any of them? Uh, no, that's just like literally the quote from Kevin Feige is, "We tried a few of Ultrons." Rise of Ultron. Yeah, be like yeah, just what Dawn of Ultron, some of those boring ones. Uh, but also, I do want to get your thoughts on uh, Iron Man three. The credits say 
Iron Man, T-H-R-E-E. Hate it. Why? What are you doing? Yeah. Why are you spelling out the word three? So weird. Also, um, some dumb IMDB trivia. One thing about titles, sorry. Yes. Sorry. Uh, They say Endgame in Age of Ultron. Yes, they do. They they says that'll be the end game. Tony mm. Stark says it. So that's pretty cool. Wonder yeah. if that was. Wonder if. Imagine if um, the Russos were like, "Yeah, we're calling the next Avengers movie Avengers Endgame," and they're like, "Oh, just like," and they're like, "Yeah, just like how Tony Stark says it in Age of Ultron." I actually think that was one hundred percent planned, um, Kevin, because okay. they didn't reveal the Endgame title for a long time, and people were like, "Oh, they didn't finalize it," and Kevin Feige was like, "No, like it was always called Endgame right from the first draft, like." That's why Doctor Strange says Endgame in Infinity War, you know? And so I, I feel like it is, you know, they were like, oh, this is a... Yeah. I wonder if Endgame is going to be any more relevant to the plot other than it's just the last yeah. one for a while. Yeah, either way, I mean, they, were like, they talk about it being the Endgame, so it's like, yeah. This is Operation Endgame. But yeah, so some dumb IMDb trivia. Um, nice. every, so this, this appeared on a few of the films in Phase 2. Each Marvel Marvel superhero movie has a main theme. Did you know that? Iron Man and its sequels, weaponry and technology and the Incredible Hulk, mutation and nuclear power, Captain America, the first Avenger and sequels, experimentation and espionage, Thor and its sequels, mythology and religion, Guardians of the Galaxies, extraterrestrial life and cosmic beings, Ant-Man is telepathy and control of animals, Doctor Strange, magic and witchcraft, all spoilers for the next episode, uh, the Avengers alien invasion. And Avengers Age of Ultron, Artificial Intelligence. Now, who the fuck thinks that that's good content writing that? Movies are about concepts. But like, oh, the Avengers, the theme of Avengers is alien invasion. No, it's not. That's not a theme. That's fucking stupid as shit I've ever read. 26 out of 70. (laughs) Found that interesting. Fuck! Fuck! Okay, are you ready to talk about the post credit scenes and the Stanley cameos? I, I forgot we were doing that, but here we go. <laughs> okay, so post credit scenes. Uh, so we're just going to kind of brief what do we think of them. Uh, Iron Man 3 has Banner, uh, is Tony talking to Bruce Banner in therapy. Yep. Okay, um, if I'm going to start talking fast because I feel like we should wrap this up. Um, oh, you think? <laughs> Three segments away from the end. I feel like we should wrap this up. <laughs> um, uh, if if post credit scenes didn't um, establish a rapport for uh, being cliffhangers, this is a great post credit scene. Yeah. Like, if just having a funny joke was enough for people, this is a great post credit scene. Yeah. Um, so the post credit scene for this originally had Tony uh, heading off to space and meeting the Guardians of the Galaxy, but they weren't 100% sure that Robert Downey Jr. would be returning, so that was scrapped. Why would that? Why he's just got it over going to space the first time? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, how do you get him in space? Because apparently, in original drafts in of Guardians of the Galaxy, scene. he um he was in Guardians of the Galaxy in like a similar role to what he is in Homecoming. Because in the comics at the time, Tony Stark was a member of the team. Also, this is either the first or the only, depending on how you look at it, um, post credit scene in a Marvel movie to not tease a future film. Right. If you count, um, we'll we'll get to it. Um, So hold that in mind. Um, Thor, the Dark World, has two. Uh, The one is them delivering the reality stone to the Collector. It's our first look at Guardians of the Galaxy. I remember being really excited for that and seeing what the world looked like. 
Uh, what do you think of that? It's all right. It's pretty interesting how it doesn't really have any known characters in it. Yeah. It, it is cool to have that be the um, inception of talking about the Infinity Stones properly. Hmm. Yeah, that's and, the first name drop of Infinity Stones. And that's maybe why I never picked up on Infinity Stones when I first watched these films, because I don't think I saw that post-credit scene. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, then Thor The Dark World has another one, which um, has one of the frost giant monsters from Jotunheim uh, running around London um, or wherever, and also has Thor arriving back at Earth and him and Jane make out. Don't need it. Mm. But fun fact about that scene is that Natalie Portman wasn't available to film it, so they chucked a wig on Chris Hemsworth's wife. So that's why that is the most passionate moment in both films between Jane and Thor. It is weird to to um, have your post credit scene uh, kind of rope back in the person trying to leave your franchise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. how can what's the most you know tasteful way we can write out Natalie Portman? Never mind. Let's just have them be connected again at the yeah. end. Um, and also th- these kind of um, started the um, uh, the trend of teasing the film after the next one. Sure. Uh, because that, that's kind of, I think, what you find what happens a lot these days. Um, Captain America Winter Soldier again has two. Uh, first one is a tease for the twins in Age of Ultron. Again, I was excited to see those guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? It's kind of like whatever. Yeah. I think uh, Joss Whedon directed it. Um right. And James Gunn directed the one from Dark World. Uh, the other one from Winter Soldier is uh, Bucky going to that exhibit and wanting to learn more about himself. Yeah, that's fine. That's cool. Uh, all right. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy has two again. One is Baby Groot dancing, uh, which is a very fun scene. And if you count that as like teasing that Groot's back and he's going to be Baby Groot in the sequel, then, you know, that's teasing. Otherwise, these are the only two that don't tease future films. Uh, what'd you think of that one? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Is it even a post-credit sequence? Like during the credits? Uh, yeah, it's a like, mid-credit sequence. Right. Um, yeah, so that's a fun one. And uh, also the other one at the end of that is Howard the Duck appearing. I love Howard the Duck. I'm so intrigued by Howard the Duck. Yeah. Voiced by Seth to, Green. Yeah, yeah um, that's a great scene. And this film came out 30 years to the day after the original Howard the Duck movie. Fun fact. Nice. Uh, now... Uh, let's go. I'm just going to skip ahead and go to Ant Man, where you've got one is teasing the wasp with Evangeline Lily looking at the suit. She says it's about damn time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and then the other one is just a clip from Civil War, essentially. Yeah, that I looked it up online because I didn't know if there was going to be another one, and people were saying that this is the worst post credit scene because I it's, it's taken from a different movie. Vehemently disagree. Um, yeah, the worst post credit scene. And what I would actually rank as the worst post-credit scene is in Avengers Age of Ultron, where Thanos grabs the gauntlet and says, fine, I'll do it myself. Now, let's break this what? down. Okay. Who the fuck is he talking to? What is he referring to? Do what himself? No one in the movie was trying to, like, <laughs> you know, do do his bidding. Um where is the Infinity Gauntlet at that time? Um, yeah. He looks like shit in it. He's he's bright purple. He looks way worse than he did in Guardians of the Galaxy. And like a hundred times worse than he does by the time we get to Infinity War. Um, when does this scene take place? It, nothing about it makes sense. And the writers of Infinity War have said, they got asked, how does this fit into your, to the timeline? They said, it's not our movie. Like, we think it's fucking stupid as well. So what is it's it's not relevant in the sense that he says fine I'll do it myself now and presumably he's referring to Ultron failing to take over the world 
Uh, but Ultron wasn't like a missionary from Thanos. Yeah, Noah was a missionary from Thanos in that movie. Yeah. Uh, ugh, it's so stupid. Maybe, it makes no sense. <laughs> maybe Thanos is just referring to something else. Like it's like maybe he's maybe like someone clogged the toilet and he's and he's like, I know how to get rid of. Like everyone's trying to unclog the toilet and Thanos is like, I know how uh, to do this. Better grab my toilet glove. <laughs> like, um, grabs, it's just a, like what stone? Are there any stones in the gauntlet by that no, point? No, not that time. Oh, um, maybe he's just gonna punch the, 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 the <laughs> toilet. He's gonna punch the shit down the toilet or something. Um, and so that's what you see is him being like, "Fine, I'll do it myself." <laughs> um, so yeah, that's um, that's that. Like the only time that that could have taken place is directly after the post-credit scene for the first Avengers. And then he's like, fine, I'll do it myself. And then waits like six or seven years to actually do it. Fine, I'll do it myself. And then cut to wide and there's some like lackey there. And he's like, what are you going to do? And he's like, mm. and just puts the, the gun back in. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, um, the other... And who's the one that's kind of like Loki in the Avengers? Loki is directly answering to, and then he answers to Thanos. You know, they fail at their mission. So that would be the only time Thanos would be like, fine, I'll do it myself. But nothing in Age of Ultron has anything to do with Thanos. So it's a very stupid scene. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so now, Stan Lee cameos. What do we think of these? Now, Iron Man 3, he's a beauty pageant judge. It's a very it's, quick scene, it's hilarious. Cool. Um, Thor the Dark World, he's a mental patient. And, it's um, hilarious. The facility. And another fun thing about this one. Um, so it's when Stellan Skarsgård, Eric Selvig, is fully in institution trying to explain the nine realms. And then Stanley's kind of like, can I have my shoe back? Uh, Jay, he's credited as himself in that film, <laughs> 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 uh, which is great. Um, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Museum Security Guard. Yeah, good. Guardians of the Galaxy, Casanova alien. Where is he in that film? Uh, when you f- we first meet Rocket and Groot, they're looking around, yes. they're like, oh, look at this old creep. That's a great one. Yeah. Um, originally, um, he was going to be one of the collector's um, exhibit, you know, in his collection, and he was yeah. going to flip off Groot. Right. Um, because he's the only character that in the, in the Guardians that he had a hand in creating. Right. Uh, so, fun little thing there. Uh age of ultron he's a drunk vet who gets kicked out of the avengers party <laughs> yeah and he doesn't he, he says something funny doesn't he or is that no that's an um that's an ant-man he's ant-man's my favorite one spoilers yeah, so ant-man it's during um luis who's like um michael pena's character who does these like big long winded talking really fast runs and uh you see the characters like lip sync to what he's saying and in this one, he's like, see that girl I'm with? She's crazy, stupid, fine. He's like, crazy, stupid, fine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like in yeah, I like voice. that one the most. <sighs> okay, we've made it. Here we are at the end. It's time to continue that franchise. Now, there's uh, actually been a few attempts to continue the franchise, some more successful than others. Uh, there is another Avengers film uh, that has been released. There's another one on the way. Um, and there's actually an entire third phase God. of Marvel films, which we are going to be covering next week. Fucking wasted our time. Like. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go for my continue the franchises. Uh, here it goes. So these are just some things that I would like to see. Uh, one is I would love to see the what was obviously the original plan for Thor Ragnarok. 
I mean, I think it would probably be a worse film. And um, but I, yeah, I would like to see what Alan Taylor would have done with Thor Ragnarok, you know, right? Um, or if Kenneth Branagh come back because it's clearly they had a very different film planned. Yeah. Um, I part of me again out of morbid curiosity, I don't necessarily think it would have been better. I would like to see Joss Whedon's Infinity War or Endgame. Um, mm-hmm. He said he doesn't like Thanos as a character. He didn't want anything to do with him. And I think he was forced into including him in the post credit scene. Um, but yeah, I would. that's another thing I'd like to see. Um, three, I would like to see a prequel to Age of Ultron. I, I, I looked this up because, you know, they do those prequel comics. The prequel comic for Age of Ultron is about uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Uh, but I would like to see the one that's like, why is this the time they get together you know that's that was that was my original idea was we need some kind of tony stark coming out of retirement prequel um and the other one i would like to see is bridging the gap between the post-credit scene of age of ultron and infinity war i would like to see i would like to see basically what we talked about before of thanos being like i'll do it myself and then he turns around sees it's raining and is like <laughs> puts it back um just just give me that little fun scene um yeah. and even so if you, you just w- yeah just paint josh brolin purple or like yeah. shitty keyframe it in in microsoft paint i just want to see a canon why that doesn't work yeah it's a it's a um gap filler marvel's it's the only filler. flaw in the marvel cinematic universe um cool well okay i'm gonna do something i've already done in a very recent episode and that's take one of the movies and so, and cancel it strike it from continuity <laughs> and instead say it should have been a video game which i did for the, the girl on the spiders web from the millennium series mm. um and you're gonna do with ant-man 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 is obviously the one to, so i think especially with edgar wright leaving especially with it coming out after age of ultron i think ant-man should have been to video games what dear devil and jessica jones were to tv for for the for marvel right right okay this should have started ant-man should be the face of the marvel cinematic universe video game mm, branch you're doing video games this week yeah i did video games last week oh very cool um so i it, it seems obvious to me because one of the things i don't like about ant-man is that um he can you can control ants <laughs> it just seems so so you don't need that as well as shrinking like that that justifies why it's called ant-man is because he's small like an ant i think the whole telekinetically controlling ants thing is very like they just get away with it like it's just explained enough for me to be okay with it but in a video game that's the mechanics of the game right so you control the ants and you can there's different types of ants that you Scott, use for different things you control the ants the ants um <laughs> and of course there's also the the shrinking uh you know the the shrinking game mechanic feels part of it as well basically everything about ant-man is feels so disconnected from the rest of the series that to me it should have been the video game that came out tied to the mcu and 
then you know you've got Ant Man and the Wasp. You can you experience that even further. I was thinking the first level of the Ant Man game, you would be playing as Hank Pym in the war, and that's like your first taste of it. And then yeah. skip forward however many years. Now you're playing as as Scott, and you don't have the shrinking stuff for a bit, and then you finally get it. The um f- the climax of of Ant Man, which is actually probably my favorite part of the film, when they're fighting in his daughter's bedroom, and there's a Thomas the Tank Engine. I thing. love that about the film. That's a that's a video game. That's a boss battle. Mm. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then you go into the quantum realm. All every basically everything about the Ant Man, both Ant Man films, feels like I want to play the video game of it as opposed to watch a movie of it. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because I messaged you earlier and was like, while I was watching the films, I thought of a real good <laughs> continuing the franchise, and I've forgotten what it was. You just reminded me. I do want to say, um, yeah, I forgot to be sure we talked about Ant Man, but. Uh, the fact that because one of my big complaints again about uh, Age of Ultron was that the whole the plot of like I'm going to lift up this city and drop it on the world the world's going to explode it's so fucking stupid of course they're going to win you know and I mean I guess Infinity War kind of subverted that but I mean like it's it's so boring like just I'm going to destroy the world is, is a boring threat yeah. um, whereas um, your daughter your daughter might get hurt mm. is very real stakes. Um, and I, and that's so much more interesting. It's that go deeper thing. Like you don't need to go bigger. Like when the stakes are more personal, which is why civil war is better than age of Ultron. Um, because the stakes are personal, not, um, not world ending. Um, but yeah, I would, I wish the sequel for Ant-Man was like a Godfather two type sequel where it's a concurrent, like two storylines, one with Scott Lang in the present day, one with a young, um hank pym fighting in the war mm-hmm. that's what it should have been yeah that's a good idea um but yeah I, I guess i could see like the scene where he breaks into pym's apartment or well, apartment his mansion or his house whatever it is i skip went from too small to too big um, <laughs> and steals the suit <laughs> when like, house is the word like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um he, and he steals the suit, like, and the the like. Uh, uh, Lewis is talking in his ear. That's a video game level, you know. That's how you. That's the you do the code breaker mini game. That's the everything about it. Basically, reminds me of what would actually be a standout video game, but because it's a movie, it's a rather subdued movie and i think maybe if edgar wright hadn't pushed it so far that they had to make it probably for financial reasons mm. you know to, to get a return on all the money that's spent on it um i think this is easily the best choice for a marvel mcu video game um one thing i also love about ant-man <laughs> yeah uh when it cuts to like he's like i got a degree in mechanical engineering i think i'm gonna be fine that cuts to him work at baskin robbins most realistic part of the mcu <laughs> um but then yeah so he's working at ice cream baskin robbins and ice cream parlor and then that guy comes in just just give me whatever's hard and fresh <laughs> and paul rudd's delivery of when he's like hey uh and he gets called away and he's like hey could you uh take care of this idiot for me um that's <laughs> so good yeah and that kid is um you might recognize him from 21 jump street you might recognize that kid as Albert Einstein. Yeah, because that, that pissed me off when I watched it, is because I was like, "Where do I know him from?" He's one of uh, Channing Tatum's was- nerdy friends in Twenty One Jump Street. Right. Turns out he was Albert Einstein, and you're like, "Ah, the nerdiest of all friends." <laughs> 
All right, that All is right. phase two Baby. of MCU. If you made it this far, why not go a little further? I hope you remember the name of that town. It was Zihuatanejo. Uh, <laughs> there you'll find a black rock, which has no business being in Zihuatanejo. Um, and underneath, you'll lift it up. There'll be a lunchbox. And inside, it'll say, subscribe to Cult Pop Show. You can find us on YouTube. <laughs> you can find us on SoundCloud, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Cult Pop Show on everything. Unless you want to email us, when you can find us at media at gmail.com. Um, <laughs> it's like you've never done call to actions and now you do the best one <laughs> it's always me doing it what a treat what a treat that was oh man ah oh, I am hungry oh baby These, uh, yeah, so if you are a new listener what you thought and uh, this podcast, we're sorry it was very long, and it's actually even longer than we think right now because yep. we're going to record a little bit extra and check it in the middle, and you won't even notice. You won't. You won't even. You won't even fucking know what. If we you put try in the and notice, I'll hit you. I will give you ten thousand dollars if, <laughs> if there isn't yeah. something in the middle <laughs> that we snuck in later. Uh, oh my god! Oh my so yeah, god! This I'm is, like. This is- gripping my pop filter with rage because I'm so angry but happy it's over if if you're a new listener the episodes aren't usually this long Um, this is more of our like big explosion into the world yeah this is like like, we've earned this we've earned talking for yeah fuck you fuck you Um, dumbass awesome well hey thank you very much for listening everybody we'll see you next week for what can what has to be a six hour hour, six hour podcast Uh, like it's actually going to be six hours like don't like yeah be prepared because when we say it's going to be six hours we're not exaggerating it's probably going to be six hours and you know what you're going to fucking listen to it little bitch (laughs) (laughs) Alright, uh, cool. Uh, stop recording? Yep, stopped. Oh my god, dude. I'm so hungry. I've got to go get some food. Yeah, I was going to say, do you want to go? There's a new shawarma joint um, just down the road. Do you want to go check mm. that out? Let's do it. Sweet. Um, I did want to say, it feels like we've been talking for a long time this episode, and mm. we didn't used to talk this long, did we? No, we used to talk for like 25 minutes. Yeah, and the sound quality was real fucking shit. Yeah, and something like, I, I feel bad sometimes because I feel like, I don't know, something like Lethal Weapon or Ace Ventura or even Back to the Future deserved mm. a longer conversation about from from us with the standard that we've set now, you know. Yeah, we should we should do one of those again. One of our original franchises. Redo a franchise. <laughs> do a franchise again. What's the best way to work? This is a post credits teaser. Goodbye everybody. <laughs> <laughs>